The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is a network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To keeping it strong style The Ace of Podcast On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll review the finals of the World Tag League and Super Junior Tag League and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level you can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, congrats on passing uh, your FINRA exam, man. Yep. So um, I am back on the show. It is not an illusion. It's not um, you know some false advertisement that's been going on here. They said I was coming back. Here I am. And I, I, I just got a little something for you and all of the listeners. Bear with me just one moment. All right. That's right. I'm back and I'm better than ever. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You see, Jeremy, since I've been gone, I've been keeping tabs on you guys. I've been listening to the show and you're on a tight little ship. You know what I mean? Like it's been a nice little show, but there's been something missing. There's been an X factor that's been missing from the show. A certain panache, if you will, that I bring to the show. It's just, it hasn't been there. And now I'm here to inject the show with a dose of lethal injection. With what, wait, what, what do you call it? Poison? A, a lethal dose of poison. A lethal dose of poison. <laughs> <laughs> 
And um, as you can see, I am wearing my um, honorary Goose shirt that I was gifted this past weekend during the sixth annual FOH draft, both our show as well as One Nation Radio, our special annual Christmas time episode, which I believe is dropping this week, right? Yes, it will be dropping this week. So pay attention uh, to the timelines and the social suplex dot com will will drop the link to that because it will be on pay pay hip it's a uh you know pay as you want model suggested donation will be five dollars just like last year uh to get you our christmas show the foh draft last year's uh episode is available now for free on the social suplex podcast network feed so if you're not familiar with our, our christmas foh draft you can go back Check out last year's or previous years. We've been doing this, I believe, since 2017, 2018. Um, so all the archives are there. So check that out. Stay tuned for the 2022 draft coming out this week. All the episodes, if you want to find them, go to uh, the Social Suplex page on whatever um, app you're using to listen us, listen to us to. And if you put in the search bar FOH, it should bring up every single FOH draft that we've done through history. They're evergreen, even though you're probably asking yourself, why would I want to listen to these guys talk about WWE from four years ago? Trust me, you (laughs) want to hear these shows if you've never heard them. And and the concept's pretty simple. Myself, Jeremy, James, Rich, four best friends, we get together and we drink copious amounts of alcohol we imbibe and we get into a place where during this one episode, we say all the shit that we would never normally say on the air on our regular episodes. It is completely unhinged. Um, and it's very crazy. And wild. And I got to tell you, Jeremy, this is the first year where I feel very confident. I was not the wildest one. on the show. <laughs> I feel like every year you've gotten more like contained. <laughs> That's not true because like like two or three years ago, I was like deeply ashamed of the episode and I didn't want anyone to listen to it. So well, I know that that's, well, that's what I'm saying. Since since then, I feel like you, you've gotten much better. Uh, last year was pretty crazy. <laughs> two years ago was pretty crazy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I don't know if you recognize this, Jeremy, but uh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I thought that the drinks I had on Saturday were so nice. I had to drink them twice. So I am. Um, indulging in what I called on the show strong spirits, but they're not actually strong at all. I went ahead and I uh, infused in vodka with Sour Patch Kids to create a very sweet drink. I should call them weak spirits, but um, <laughs> they're very delicious. And you know, I, f- I figured I'd give the the you know the people listening a, a little taste, if you will, <laughs> of FOH draft this past week. Yeah. Also, our year-end awards of voting is still underway for our sixth annual Keeping It Strong Style year-end awards. Go on, get your votes out for that. There's a lot of tight races in some of the categories right now. Over 20 categories we have for you guys, full of great nominees. Our good friend Rocky Romero retweeted the link out uh, this evening, so you know, we told you guys, you know, New Japan office that they pay attention uh, to these awards and you know who's winning. Like I said, Rocky Romero retweeted out on Twitter, so the link is all over the place. It's pinned also on our Twitter. If you go to bit.ly/slash kiss awards22, that will pop up the, the Google form. You can also find it on socialsuplex.com. 
Uh, so the Google form over there, you fill that out, get your votes in, and then uh, I believe the January 11th episode of Keeping a Strong Style, we will announce all the winners in the 2022 Year End Awards. You know what happened there, right? What? Well, Rocky was in my DMs, you know what I'm saying? And he was like, guys, I need you to boost up this uh, Copa Bicentennial trophy win that I did over here in Mexico. And I was like, ah, you know, Rock, we, we, you are a good friend, but most of our listeners are here for the Pearl. They're not here for the Lucha. And he was like, what do we got to do? How do we cut a deal? And I was like, you got to tweet out the awards on the slide. And he was like, done. Oh man! So everyone that was wondering, like, why, why are, why, why are these guys tweeting out about CMLL and Lucha Libre? Well, that's what happened there. It was, it was a talent exchange, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, get your quid votes. pro quo. Quid. <laughs> what is it? Quid pro quid quo. Pro, yeah. Quid pro quo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. He was just being a nice guy, and uh, we were just being nice. So that's what happened there. Yeah. But um, yeah, we've got uh quite a few categories that are blow away and then we've got a quite a few um categories that are like razor thin and kind of surprising every year these awards tend to you know surprise me and uh they're doing it again yeah you know i tweeted out earlier yes the uh, call got strong style um award it's in between tomohiro ishii and chingo two guys who have won the award in the past it's literally neck and neck in first second and third place votes between those guys uh new japan of america mvp Tight race between Filthy Tom Lawler and Switchblade Jay White. Um, so if you want your voice heard, get those votes votes in, break those ties, and you know, let's get a clear winner in some of these categories. Yeah, let's get some Renarita votes in for USA MVP. All right. I'm actually, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that Jay and Tom are so close. I'm not at all. Um, I mean, I am and I'm not. Like, because personally, I just felt like, you know, with Tom's strong title run and being on the show all year, I'm like, to me, I'm like, oh, that's clearly, you know, number one oh. guy. But then, I, you know, you think back at yeah, US of J Open Challenge and just the frequency of J being on uh, strong and New Japan uh, US pay-per-views this year. Yeah, he's right up there with Tom. Even just very recently, he had a major match with strong champion Fred Rosser. So, I mean, he's really kind of anchored that brand throughout the year. Maybe not the whole year. But I'm not surprised at all. I, I think that everyone who's been asking themselves what's been going on with Jay White this year, well, he was in the U.S. working on Strong and kind of anchoring that promotion. So that's what happened there, and I'm not surprised at all. There there are a few other people. You know what? Some of those races you mentioned, too, it's not like it's just a two-way race. There are some other names that are possibly in contention, too. Um, so, yeah, get your votes out, and we definitely want to hear your voice, and I'm sure we'll get a lot of last-minute ballots in as we do every year, because right up until the 11th hour, it'll look like, you know, some of these categories, it'll look like it's a foregone conclusion, and then suddenly you're like, what the fuck happened here? <laughs> it's like, oh. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so December 31st, 11.59 p.m. will be the deadline to get your ballot in. Also, make sure you tweet out what you voted for using the hashtag KISSAwards. We'd love to see. Um, obviously, I can't see who everybody's voting, but we want you know the Twitterverse to see who you're voting for as well. But yeah, uh, before we jump into the show, I just want to say thank you again, uh, Jeremy, for holding down the fort while I was out. I know to many of you listening, it probably seems like I intentionally (laughs) tried to miss the entirety of Tag League. And 
I can't say that it wasn't a happy coincidence necessarily because it kind of was nice, but um, in all actuality, it was because I was prepping for my series six, which I passed. <laughs> so I am now officially a licensed registered representative with FINRA. Um, and that opens a lot of doors within my current role in the financial services industry and, uh, you know, potential other roles down the, down the line. Um, I do have two other licenses I'll be pursuing this year. So, you know, um, that might open potential opportunity for other people to guest host. We'll see. But um, I'm hoping to tighten it up a little bit with my schedule so that it doesn't interfere quite as much this time around with the show. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And thank you to everybody that we had as a guest in recent times. You guys were all fantastic. Really loved hearing from you guys. MJ does B, uh, PR, Ethan Black, Karen, all you guys. Great job, and I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we got uh, lots of stuff to talk about this week um, from all the fallout coming from Tag League and the Wrestle Kingdom press conference, Sasha Banks news. Uh, before we jump into that, we do have to crown the November match of the month and wrestler of the month. Uh, been holding off on this for when you came back. You changed it. Oh, the, the wrestler of the month? Yeah, yeah. I was going, I was going back and forth between uh, several teams. Um, it's funny because as I was watching the World Tag League Finals, the the team that you listed. Now, keep in mind, I didn't see any of this, so I was just gonna, I wasn't gonna say anything. I was just gonna defer to your judgment because you are a well and reasoned raider. Um, but I was thinking that this team, I was like. Maybe we need to have an off-air discussion and see, does it need to be this junior bullet club team or does it need to be this heavyweight Aussie Open team? It's hard to tell. And um, I'm surprised you changed it without us even talking. It's like we're on the same <laughs> Yeah, actually, before you even saw the Bay in Austin, I also had Catch 2-2 on there at one point. So there was just several, uh, I mean, overall, I mean, this tag league was a really good tag league, both from the junior and heavyweight side, especially with all the new faces in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, without further ado, the November wrestler wrestlers of the month: Mark Davis, Kyle Fletcher, Aussie Open. These guys, oi, oi, oi! <laughs> uh, they made their New Japan Japan debut in November, coming over for this World Tag League tour. They're also on the the ending of Battle Autumn, and pretty much just you know cleaned house in the World Tag League. They got a big super push here, uh, pretty much almost undefeated um, throughout the Tag League run and th throughout this month, and pretty much giving most of the heavyweight teams their, the best matches um, of the tournament. Uh, the, the LIJ match, TMDK match, um, there was just so really great action there with Aussie Open, Fletcher and Davis really coming in and elevating the tag team division. Yeah, I mean... Um... As I said before, I didn't see any of this, but I'm not surprised. Uh, Kyle Fletcher and um, Mark Davis are both really, really talented guys. Uh, I've said for a while now, I've, I consider them a top two, top three tag team in the world. Pretty much I have for a long time. And they went out there and they showed exactly why they have the reputation that they do and really stepped their game up in a lot of different ways. And you know, even just on this finals night, what I saw from them was indicative of a team that's so incredibly well-rounded, just the hard-hitting style, the crisp, you know, 
fast-paced action. It's a mixture of, it's just such a hybrid mixture of like brawling and Southern style tag and high flying and mixture of all this athleticism. They almost feel sort of in the same vein as like war machine, Mm. but mixed with like the midnight express. You know what I mean? Like they're just really, really, really good. I think that they wrestle the way FTR wishes they wrestle (laughs) 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 or the way they claim that they wrestle, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, as far as the match of the month, we did not discuss this, but um, I'm going to agree with Jeremy here because uh, up until Tag League, this was my match of the month, and I can't imagine there was anything that occurred during the World Tag League as good as it was uh, to usurp this as the crowning match of the month. And without further ado, it is Will Ospreay versus Tetsuya Naito from Battle Autumn in Osaka, which was just an incredible, incredible match. And you know, we we threw all the praise on it when it occurred, and it's still deserving of it today. Yeah, definitely great matchup there for the IWGP US title, and you know the second matchup between Osprey and Naito this year. Uh, it's a really great match. If you've not seen that, definitely recommend going back and, and watching that matchup. Yep. Yeah, so um, let's jump into night seventeen, which was the tag league finals for both the. Super Junior Tag League and the World Tag League. This was coming to us from December 14th in Sendai Sun Plaza Center. And um, Jeremy, I'm going to kind of guide us through this. And I got to tell you, I just watched this. I know it occurred a few uh, days ago. It's been a crazy week for me. Wasn't able to get to it till today. And so it's fresh in my mind, but also I was kind of spoiled on it. So I knew what to expect going into it. And because I was spoiled, I saw how much disappointment there was online <laughs> to everybody that saw it. And now I have joined you all in that. And I have recently partaken in that disappointment because I had to sit through like a three and a half hour pay-per-view that I was not, you know, very high on or quite fond of. So I'm right there with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wasn't not the, uh, the best way to conclude, which was a, a very good tour. Um, mm. and you know, I know some of these were kind of on paper. You, you saw the card and it's like, yeah, some, you know, multi-man matches can kind of just kind of giving some guys from the tour, some matchups and it should be fun. But then the show got going and it was just like kind of a drag, like not a lot was going on until you got, you know, further down the card. Okay, cool. Well, um, we started the night off with Sauce Hearts, the team of Alex Zane and El Lindemann, as they defeated the Young Lion team of Kosei Fujita and Ryohei Oiwa, six minutes and six seconds. And Jeremy, what were your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a fine opening matchup here. Zane and Lindemann, one of the teams that really impressed on the junior side of things, gelled really well together, great chemistry. Uh, I would say probably in the, at least the top five of the junior tag teams from the tour. And, you know, mixing up there with the two young Lions, Vegeta and Oiwa. So essentially it was a nice little match to give some shine to Sauce Hearts and kind of a little, you know, pat on the back. Thank you for coming out. And, yeah, of course, they defeat Vegeta and Oiwa. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty enjoyable opener with the young Lions, you know, getting all their hope spots in and kind of just feeding and bumping for uh, this sort of eclectic but cohesive team between Alex Zane and El Lindemann, two guys that don't seem to have a lot in common on the surface, very different demeanors, very different styles, but because of their 
recent teaming late and then you know Lindemann dying his hair red (laughs) (laughs) gotta make sure they they, they match I guess they match they're a team now so uh it was kind of cool to see them uh in action yeah we had a couple questions here uh first from jncos 2001 that's Jinkos. Jinkos, 2001. <laughs> Where do you see Alex Zane fitting in the 2023 NJPW scene? Going heavyweight? Possible G1 run? Tagging more? Well, if he keeps eating Taco Bell the way that he claims that he is, <laughs> he's going to have no choice but to eventually move up to heavyweight. I mean, I think technically he already is a heavyweight, but uh, that's not a conversation the IWGP committee seems to be willing to <laughs> have at this point. Somebody, somebody needs to check the scales. There's some funny business going on. <laughs> you know, get our man Aaron Nova on the case. Bring, bring the scale out. Let's see what's going on here. I would say shout out to Aaron Nova, but he's not watching. He doesn't watch New Japan. He's not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely obviously love to continue to see Zane in New Japan next year. Um, like Josh is saying, you know, they they could swing him heavyweight. I mean, he has the size and the frame, um, but also he he wrestles more of a junior style, very kind of dynamic, fast wrestler. So I understand wanting to keep him in the junior division. Uh, we saw him do some open weight stuff in the TV tile tournament. So I think he's a guy you can kind of throw him anywhere. He can be the New Japan Cup. He can be in a G one if they want to go that route. Um, junior, you know, if they can, if they continue to bring Lindemann in, you can do Sauce Hearts as one of the challengers for the junior tag titles going through. He can be a junior champ challenger so there's a lot of options for zane next year yeah i and i don't mean this in a disrespectful way so please don't don't take this the wrong way when i say this but he's sort of like a creator wrestler and i don't mean that like in a generic sense but i mean you know when you have like your guy and you've brought and you're doing story mode with him and Mm -hmm. you've just got to that point where like the storyline could really branch a lot of different ways depending on what choices you make yeah that's sort of where he's at and i mean I could see a lot of different ways they could go with this. I mean, if they want to tag him up with some heavyweight and kind of usher him into the heavyweight scene that way, that's a possibility. Uh, Like you mentioned, there's the junior route. I would say if you're going to keep him junior long-term, it's probably best, in my opinion, that you just don't even do New Japan Cup whatsoever. Just stay in the junior ranks go through a super junior, go for the title, go for the the junior tag league titles. And maybe once you've gotten um, some of those accolades under your belt, maybe think about, you know, moving up because that is a division that could really use his help. But if you are thinking about moving him up to heavyweight in the down the road, then maybe you, you put him in a new Japan cup, see how he fits in and maybe consider, you know, bringing him up. And there's quite a few titles in the heavyweight ranks that he could go after, whether it's the never title, the U S title, you know, the strong title, that sort of thing. Yeah. The the, TV title. Yeah. Lots of options for Zane. Also a question from Hawaiian punch BV with Alex Zane rejoining strong hearts, sort of and L Lindemann completing another tour here. Do you think we'll be seeing more of them? How would you like to see T Hawk and L Lindemann versus catch two, two, Impact Trey Miguel used to be a part of Strongheart, so maybe he can just join Austin and Bay on the same flights over. Do you think Gato would be able to convince Shima to put over Akira when Shima refused to do so over at All Japan? It's a pretty loaded question. There's a lot of stuff there. So, um, you know, I'm not as familiar with the, the whole kayfabe of 
the strong hearts and everything like that. But um, I wouldn't be opposed to Trey Miguel getting involved with New Japan. He's a guy that I'm pretty high on and surprised that they haven't gotten him involved in some fashion up till now. But I'd be all for that one way or the other. Um, as far as like convincing Shima to put over, I guess he's talking about Francesco Akira, right? Yeah. No, I don't see, I do not see New Japan and Shima or New Japan and Gato convincing Shima to do a J-O-B to Francesco Akira under any circumstances unless they decide to skyrocket Francesco Akira suddenly out of nowhere and make him like an ace type player in the junior heavyweight division. I mean, this is a guy who like the only person he's jobbed to in New Japan is Okada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I'd love to see uh, Trey Miguel in, in the junior division. I think he'd be a fun addition to New Japan. Um, T-Hawk and Lindemann versus Catch 2-2. Yeah, I mean, anybody versus Catch 2-2 I think would be a lot of fun. I mean, I think T-Hawk's more on the, the heavyweight side of things, though. Um, That's but, how I feel about him, too. Yeah, but yeah, Strong Hearts versus Catch 2-2 would definitely be a ton of fun. And yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, Shima's going to be jobbing to uh, the Fireball anytime soon. Great. So second match of the night, we had the team of TMDK, Mike, Mad Mikey Nichols and Shane Hayes. They defeated the team of Kevin Knight and Kushida, six minutes and 12 seconds. Do we have an official name for the team of Kevin Knight and Kushida yet? No, I don't think they have their official team name yet. Okay. Well, they came out and I mean, they're dressed in the same gear. Obviously, I, while I was gone, they decided to graduate Kevin Knight. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of one of the big developing stories of this, uh, tag league, but this was kind of interesting in the fact that they put one of the more, um, I guess, successful heavyweight tag teams against one of the kayfabe underperforming junior tag teams of the tour. Yeah, I think it's just a, a great, they're just trying to get some experience and shine for Kevin Knight. I think getting, getting him in there with some experienced workers you know, we got the whole edict from, um, you know, Bushiro. You know, we need younger stars. We need to, you know, elevate or escalate the uh, the young lion process. And so that's what we're seeing here. Kevin Knight graduating mid-tour and now being in there with guys like TMDK and Kushida as his partner, uh, getting a lot of experience here. Yeah, you know, the thing I noticed is um, obviously we already know how athletic Kevin Knight is. We've seen it on display going back to the early days when he first came into New Japan. Um, and obviously, TMDK, even though I haven't seen a lot of them since they have reformed, uh, it, it, it's always good to see them wrestle. And I heard they had a great tag league. But yeah, they did. It was interesting to see a, a young greenhorn like Kevin Knight sort of outshine one of New Japan's most prolific juniors in Kushida. I mean, not to take anything away from Kushida, he he definitely was still just as good as he ever has been. But most of the big, exciting spots for the junior tag team were, were built around Kevin Knight in this tag team match. And I was a little surprised by that. Yeah, I think that, the, again, that they were really trying to, to push Kevin Knight and get him over and give him a lot of the spotlight. You know, in all their tag matches, I feel like, there was, uh, you know, spots designed to elevate him and spotlight him and get him over, and that's what they've been doing this whole tour. So um, it was cool, yeah, to see him get the opportunity, kind of get the shine here in this matchup. 
of course, uh, TMDK eventually did slow things down and, um, you know, cut the ring off and slowed the pace down and isolated Kevin Knight and to hit the, the tank buster and uh, get the win there. And hilarious, uh, um, Shane Hayes was like, did we just win the Junior Tag League <laughs> after he pinned them? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, so one thing we do got to touch uh, base here on is obviously this is going to be covered in the news, but we have a question concerning it. So just last night on Monday Night Raw, the leader uh, or the current leader of TMDK, Jonah, formerly known as Jonah Rock, formerly known as Bronson Reed from his time in NXT, he returned to WWE and made his debut doing a run-in during a ladder match between uh, – What's what's the dude? Dexter Dexter Loomis. Yeah, the guy hates me. Uh, (laughs) Dexter Loomis and (laughs) Dexter Loomis and the Miz. They had some sort of money ladder match, and Bronson Reed came in, and he's a heavy for Miz, um, which is no surprise because I mean we were all speculating for quite a while about the future of Jonah, and ever since he lost to uh, when did he lose to? Okada was that at Battle Autumn? That was a declaration of power. Declaration of power. Okay, so he's kind of been MIA ghost since then. You know, I assume there was probably discussions and um, you know that sort of thing going on. But we do have a question here from Les Commission seven four two five two. He says, "With Jonah's return to the WWE, where does Team DK go from here? Hasten Nichols have a future when they return to Japan, but what will happen with Bad Dutito?" Do you guys see him getting pushed on strong to the open weight title scene? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like mentioned we've been speculating on where Jonah was going to end up after the Okada match, and it does lead some questions to what's going to happen to D- TMDK. Um, with uh, Hayes and Nichols, I mean, I think they're a, a great team, and we saw that in the tag league, so they continue to run them. As a team, and the company seems to be high on Bad Dude Tito, so I don't see why he would be out of anything. I mean, they probably won't be pushed maybe as hard if they had Jonah, but they could be a cool little trios unit. They could win the the never six man titles. You can have Hayes and Nichols, you know, doing tag league stuff, and Bad Dude Tito is also featured on Strong a lot. So yeah, he can be um, you know getting open weight match. He had a match with Kenta this past week, and seems to be getting a lot of big matches on New Japan Strong. Yeah, I, I don't know necessarily what the future of TMDK as a faction is. Obviously, TMDK, the tag team, uh, Haste and Nichols, uh, you know, the world's their oyster. They've got a lot of options in front of them. Uh, the question everyone is really asking is what happens with Bad Dude Tito? And he's, he's a very talented guy that I think has uh, really made a lot of um, – he's built a lot of trust from management and the company. That's not to say that they're going to find the perfect thing for him. This could hypothetically be a detrimental thing to him. He could be a casualty of circumstance. However, I do think that they're going to make every effort to still include him in the company if if at all possible. So I'm optimistic about it. Yeah, I mean, it could be an opportunity to elevate him. Uh, maybe it he, could be. he becomes the leader of the group, even though uh, Shane Hayes did tweet out today and said that, that there are no leaders in TMDK, but they will be looking for a new champion. I do have a question, though. Um, well, I guess my question is this. Uh, do we have other questions about this or is now a good time to voice our opinions about some of the discourse I've seen online concerning the Jonah situation? 
Um, I don't think there was any other questions on this. All right. Let me just say this. Um, I understand that a lot of you that are listening, and not all of you, because I think we have a pretty smart fan base but uh, or listenership, but um, a lot of people that listen to this show and other shows are very passionate about Per Rezu, wrestling in general, but more importantly, New Japan. And they almost sort of identify it because it's the home promotion that they base their fandom into. Just understand, at the end of the day, when everything is said and done, as much as you are passionate about New Japan, and trust me, you're talking to two guys that are very passionate about it. (laughs) We devote a lot of our time to it. New Japan is not you. And we are not New Japan. New Japan is a company that you are a fan of, a product of, that is comprised of a lot of talented wrestlers who have real lives, who have real families, and are in this as a profession to make as much money as they possibly can while risking their bodies and their health and their life. I understand that some of you or many of you online, and I've seen a lot of prominent fans and people in the community that are very angry or frustrated that Jonah, after being pushed heavily, decided to jump to WWE and felt insulted. This kind of reminds me of a very similar situation we're going to discuss here in a little bit with one Sasha Banks. Think about how foolish the fans of WWE, who are diehard stands, have sounded in criticizing her for her decision to leave and seek greener pasture for what was the best decision in her life professionally. Now, I understand some of you are probably listening to that and saying, yeah, but the company over there was mistreating her and they rolled out the red carpet for Jonah. Okay, But I don't know, guys. I'm a little bit older than maybe some of you. I'm in my mid-30s, and I lived through, you know, a territory era, and I lived through, you know, a robust, uh, vibrant wrestling scene prior to WWE's monopoly. And there, we just we used to live in an era where guys would come in for a tour, they come in for eight months, make a name, do a program with a top guy, get a win, give the win back, and move on. That's what he did here. I mean, there's nothing really to complain about. Jonah came in. They they treated him great. He treated the company great in return. He did a job on the way out. He, he did a big favor for Okada. Okada did a big favor for him. And now he's going to make more money. And if you cared about him before, you should care about him now and think that it's okay for him to go to a place that's willing to pay him more money for what he is doing with his life. It's not something to get upset about. If anything, you should be glad for the time he had here and glad that now that he's leaving, it does create opportunity for others to move into his potential spot. I I am a little bit embarrassed by some of the discourse (laughs) where people are, you know, looking like some fucking freaks talking about ungrateful, you know, blah, 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 you know, and trying to embarrass the guy. And it's like, you guys are fucking marks. And I mean, I'm not saying that in the fun term way. I'm talking about in the embarrassing way where you sound like a fucking idiot. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Don't be that person. Just be glad. It's wrestling. Let them make their money. Yeah, I see a lot of people who are upset that, you know, man, that they let Jonah beat Okada in the G1. 
you know, there are other people who who need to beat Okada. You know, why would they have Jonah do this? And it's exactly like you said. I mean, he did business. He did get the win over Okada. He gave the win back. He didn't. He didn't leave. You know, I know he didn't beat Okada and just leave. Like he right are the last sights of Jonah and an NJPW ring is him eating a rainmaker and getting pinned. Like that's the end of his run there. And you know, the whole thing is, you know, a lot of people are so mad about that. And it's like, well, it's almost a, a damned if you do damn, if you don't situation, yep. had Okada beaten Jonah in the G one, people would have been like, Oh, it's so predictable. Okada, of course, Okada wins, you know, Jonah's yep. getting over. They don't let the, you know, the hot younger, newer guy, Get the Don't big they win. know that this guy is on D- Triple H's radar, and they're not even making an attempt to try and keep him? Yeah, you know he, he's un- he's undefeated on New Japan Strong. Like he had all this momentum. Why they have Okada yep. beat him? You, yep. you would have had all those excuses. Yep. But now that Okada, you know, lost in the G One, now if there's an uproar. When you know, to me, I thought it was a a fresh, you know, unpredictable outcome. Exciting. Excite yeah, it made the G one excited. It made it unpredictable because, you know, of course people are like, you know, LOL kind of wins. Um, but yeah, it was like nobody was expecting Jonah to to win and Jonah went and he got over. Um, you know, he had he had the crowds breaking the law, ooing and awing the the the, the uh tsunami or to- torpedo, whatever it's called, splash got over. He got over. Um he added a lot of intrigue to that block to the overall G one. And yeah, that result of him beating Okada was one of the most intriguing things in that block. Here's the other thing, too, is like all throughout the pandemic era, as Tony Khan and Vince McMahon were signing up everybody, the fans over here in New Japan were complaining, oh, these guys, they're just letting everyone else go. They're not making any attempts. Then they get a big star like Jonah, and they do make an attempt. And unfortunately, they weren't able to hold on to him long term, obviously. But if they hadn't made some sort of effort to keep the guy and to treat him well, then it, everyone would have been saying, oh, well, it's just like it's just like the rest of the pandemic era. There's t- tons of names and talent out there and they didn't try to get them. Well, they try to get they tr- they did try to get Jonah. Unfortunately, the money bags in Bushi Road are just not as deep as they are in Titan sports. <laughs> and that's just a fact of life. And it's something that we all just kind of have to understand and and you know, except, but I think it was admirable that they made an attempt. The only criticism that I think is valid is that you could have hypothetically maybe tried to, and I saw this online. I I, I don't remember who, I think it was uh, some Kenta account, but they, they made mention of like, what if they had brought in like, say, uh, oh my God, Carl Fredericks and pushed him to the moon and had him beat Okada that's a guy that would be probably sticking around and then you'd be paying dividends into the company long-term into the future, as opposed to a guy that's just going to walk. And I do think there is something to that, but again, it's like you mentioned, Jeremy, it's damned. If you do damned, if you don't, if they don't make an attempt to keep a big star like that, then they look like fools and they tried their best. It didn't work out. We got a great set of matches and a great program out of it. But I think these fans, some of their vitriol, some of their reactions are kind of cringe, and kind of embarrassing. And uh, I don't generally think of New Japan fans as that audience or we, <laughs> this show, we are a little bit sheltered from that sect of the New <laughs> Japan audience. 
<laughs> well, it's huge. I think also it was a lot of like the quote unquote, you know, casual fans or maybe people who kind of pop into New Japan's for big shows. And so I saw a ton of people who I normally don't see tweeting out about New Japan that are like, oh, he, you know, he, he, you know, beat Okada and now he's gone. And it's like, oh, they just want to dunk on the company. Right. And don't get me wrong. Of course, we, we love dunking on WWE, any opportunity we get. Um, but I'm like, I, I just don't get a full hate here. Like, Jonah had a good run, did business. He's making the best decision now for his family. And it's fine, guys. It, it, yeah. it, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's fine. It's nothing to get so butthurt about. And you guys look butthurt. Don't be butthurt like that. You look like Sasha stands or FDSers. Like, it's fucking embarrassing. Hey, don't, don't, Anyways, let's don't, move on. Don't get the Sasha fan stands uh, mad, okay? We're going to have to dealing with them for the next few months now. I want them to, you know, you know what's funny? subscribe, I, I, download. I don't really know about the Sasha stands because I'm not on Twitter like that. But, you know, I'm a big Sasha fan, so I guess maybe I'm one of them. <laughs> maybe I'm one of the stands. <laughs> but uh, third match of the night, we had the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Francesco Akira, Great Okan, and TJP, accompanied by Gideon Gray as they defeated the team of Alex Coughlin, Flying Tiger, which is Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask, and Gabriel Kidd, seven minutes and 36 seconds. Yeah, again, um, another really just quick tag match here, highlighting some of the teams that were featured in both the heavyweight tag league and junior tag league. Ultimately, United Empire, the obviously the established faction unit here, um, got the win, continued their dominance, TJP, uh, pinning Tiger Mask to get the win. So keeping the junior tag champs dominant going into Tokyo Dome season and then a nice, you know, win for Hanare and a great Okan flying Tiger. Um, I believe Robbie tweeted out that this was their last time teaming together. So it seems like uh, next year, Robbie will be focused more on singles. Um, and then kid singles, <laughs> uh, kid and Coglin, you know, we saw them kind of finally get their act together. Uh, a little bit towards the end of the league. So it is a possibility that we see them team more next year. They did call out House of Torture for the never six-man titles after beating them in the league. So who knows, maybe New Year's Dash or some point in the beginning of the year, we'll see an LA Dojo trio challenge House of Torture. I don't know how it how it needs to happen, when it needs to happen, where it needs to happen, but I need to get this Alex Coughlin Versus Cesaro match going because these guys are fucking animals. I need to see those. I need to see those two Rams lock horns. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean Alex Coughlin. Just see his whole deadlift suplexing he does, where he's on the mat <sighs> sitting down. And he deadlifts the opponent all the way up, gets him up in the vertical suplex position, and drops him with the suplex. It's just absolutely incredible. He's a fucking freak. He's and not only is he like strong, but he's like cut to shreds right now. I don't even know how he does it. Um, yeah, man, this was like you said, just a, a, a fine little nice match that just kind of showcased probably what some of the best stuff was from all these guys. I will say this. Dave was giving two and less scores to all of these preview tags. And Bro. the, and the, and the, the scores on cage match were like sub five. Uh, now keep in mind, I'm not telling you these were great, but twos, this was crazy. This stuff was all, if nothing more, your standard run of the mill undercard, um, 
road to style tag team matches. It was all in that three ish range. It, there, there was nothing bad on, yeah. on this portion of the show. It just wasn't quite exhilarating or exciting, but well, I don't understand those scores. And they weren't designed to be exciting. It was pretty much get in, get out, give the guys right. shine who they want to give shine to and move it along. This was a long show. And yeah, yeah. Dave, uh, he he's so checked out of what is <laughs> happening in New Japan and based off of his ratings and based off the of stuff he says on Observer Radio, you can tell he's only kind of coming in for the big show. He's not wa- he didn't watch this whole tournament. He's, he's talking about <laughs> Teams and matches. He's talking about, oh yeah, Aussie Open. They didn't really do anything with those guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, they came in. I'm like, bro, like what are you talking about? I'm like, bro? dude, you they see it. They super elevated them. Yes, I get that everybody wanted to win the tournament, but they were wrecking every team in the tournament, giving every team almost their best matchup. Like they, I feel like elevated their stock and they got over in on this tour with the Japanese audience. I was listening to some other podcasts and. Some of the guests that they had on their show were like, "These guys need to slow down." <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "They're like, I get that they're trying to make a name for themselves in New Japan." They're like, "But some of these shows were held in like, you know, places that looked like emptied out warehouses with like a few hundred people, and they're and they're like Aussie Open's out here killing themselves in the middle of like nobody in the middle of the afternoon." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds like them." Like they're like. They're like, we're going to have the greatest run in the history of World Tag Week. Yeah, I mean, these guys have been waiting, what, <laughs> two, three years to finally get to Japan? I mean, they were supposed to be in Japan, I believe, in 2020. Yeah, uh, Dunkzilla got injured, then we had a pandemic. So, yeah, finally these, these guys come in, and they're making the most of the opportunities. Like we talk about, you know, when you get that shot, you, you got to go for it. You got to make a name for yourself. And that's exactly Kyle what— Fletcher was talking online about um, his regiment throughout the year that he, like— timed his bulking and cutting phases so that it would all convalesce during world tag league. So he'd be at his most optimum strength, but also his most shredded physically because for them, this was their like wrestle kingdom moment was world tag league. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Dave Meltzer not watching world tag league. You can get the fuck (laughs) out of here. Oh, man. So the next match of the night, we had Suzuki-Goon, the team of Doki, Lance Archer, Minoru Suzuki, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru taking on and defeating the team of House of Torture, Dick Togo, Evil, Sho, Yujiro Takahashi, 4 minutes, 54 seconds. And leading into this match, there had been a, a major announcement made by Minoru Suzuki that there was a major development and exciting news revolving around Suzuki-Goon on this evening. And they went out there, they took on the team that everybody hates in House of Torture, murked those fucking fools in 4 minutes, 54 seconds, in, out, short, sweet, completely dominated them, got them out of here. And then, you know, the news everyone was waiting for, a lot of people thought it was going to be a new leader maybe being announced, a new member being introduced, some sort of gimmick change, nobody knew what it was. And instead, we got a heartfelt speech by Minoru Suzuki explaining to us that as a team, they have decided they are all going to part ways at the end of this calendar year. Yeah, and so, yeah, their final matchups will be on the Road to Tokyo Dome shows, which we'll go over here 
in a few minutes. So yeah, definitely a, a big emotional moment here. Suzuki Goon um, calling it a day at the end of 2022, and we had a ton of questions here. So I'm just gonna read yeah. them, read them all, and then we can have kind of a general uh, discussion and our thoughts on this. Uh, so first, um, Greg starts on Twitter says, uh, "What is Lance Archer's beef with children?" Um, Fuck them kids! I don't know if you saw he he used a kid as a battering ram. Uh, no. Actually, never mind. That was actually, that was Gabe Kid, but um, Archer was yeah. He was back to scaring kids um, at, on the the tour. Um, He's on that Michael Jordan. <laughs> Fuck them kids! Uh, Raising Falcon says, "What do you think will happen with Suzuki Goon? Will a new faction form under ZSJ, or will they go their separate ways?" Okay, okay. Eight ninety says, "Do you think it was time?" Suzuki Goon to disband. Do you think a new faction will take its place, or will Suzuki Goon minus Suzuki stay together? Skywalker thirty thirty says, "What do you think Suzuki Goon core members should do once disband? What other faction shakeups would you like to see? Any new factions?" And unless Commission seven two five two says, "Any emotional thoughts ran through you guys' minds when Suzuki decided to disband Suzuki Goon?" It wasn't for me at first, but later on that day, reading through the final matches as a group and the big eight-man tag on the final road to Tokyo Dome show, some tears started to run down. It doesn't feel right for the group to go their separate ways. And MJ Does PR says, what are some of your favorite or most memorable Suzuki moments, matches over the years, and can you wildly speculate on the future of the remaining members? <laughs> wow, that's a fucking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, this was big news, and I, it's a huge shakeup, and it's something that definitely resonated with our listeners and our audience. So, thank you guys for the questions. Um, yeah, as far as what's going to happen, I mean, I ha- I have to think initially that if they are hypothetically going to go a different way, and they're going to rebrand Suzuki Goon into something else and keep some of the members together in some sort of uh, manner, they're doing a really good job right now throwing us off the set because we just had Takataichi Takataichi 50th Anniversary Festival this past Monday, and they made sure to tell everybody that this would, since since Suzuki-gun is completely breaking up, that's the last Takataichi union produce show that's ever going to happen yeah um which also makes me wonder like is that really true because they seem to be getting bigger and better every time that's a little sus but they're making it seem like that's the final time they're ever going to be together they cut all these emotional promos at the end of that show yeah tai chi is saying that you know next year it's going to be lonely goon (laughs) yeah lonely Goon. that's that's pretty much every day of my life um no i'm just playing um Sad. sad um I, I don't know, Jeremy. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot to unpack here. Obviously, definitely a very shocking moment with Suzuki announcing that. And, you know, faction shakeups, I think, are things that we've always asked for. I mean, Suzuki's been around since we've been doing this show and a little bit before that. So the, the factions had a long run. They even, you know, had an exodus where they got, you know, forced to go to Pro Wrestling Noah. And then they kind of came back and were running stuff in New Japan for a while. So definitely a fundamental faction in new Japan in the last decade. But I think the the key thing here is, you know, we're starting to see the changing of the guard, you know, the winds of change are blowing in new Japan pro wrestling. We're starting to see, you know, the, the younger young lions come back from excursion and getting pushed like Ren Narita 
in Chota Umino. We're seeing guys like Kevin Knight graduate in the middle of excursions and started to get a push. Um, so, you know, things are changing. They're, they're trying to change things up. You know, a lot of things that people complain about with New Japan when they look at the roster has been it's the same old, same old. We have the same factions, the same teams, the same matchups. There's no new fresh matchups. Well, in order to get fresh matchups and fresh teams, you know, some factions have to break up and things have to be shaken up. So that's what we're getting here. As far as what's going to happen with all the members, I mean, I have no idea. Like you were saying, Josh, it it's could too much. It could be a swerve, and it could yeah. be a thing where it's like Suzuki decided that we we're breaking up, but we really didn't want to break up until they maybe they jump him or Tokyo Dome, or it's maybe it's just a, an avenue to you know. You give Saber, you know, people want Saber to win the world title. Maybe it's your chance to, you know, push Saber as a, a main eventer, to push Desperado as the top junior, um, you know, give, you know, Doki a shot at some stuff. Like, it's an opportunity to kind of have guys tell some new stories, go in different directions, have some new feuds. They can be in different alignments. There's so, there's so many options. It's, it's kind of hard to fully guess, like, what's going to happen with each and every guy. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I dislike about this um, I mean, I do think it's exciting and it opens up a lot of doors of possibility. Like you mentioned, Jeremy, the reason I'm not a fan of it to a certain degree is the certain sort of unity and family that seems to exist within Suzuki Goon. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've noticed this, Jeremy, although they do all have their own roles and responses and relationship to Minoru Suzuki when he's not around because he hasn't been around that much over the last two to three years. He's, you know, there are times where he's off the tours or he's in the States or he's in on excursions. You know, when dad's not around, the boys tend to play (laughs) and there, there is a different vibe uh, between Kanemaru, Doki, Taichi, Zach, all these guys, they and and they seem to have this certain sort of bond that it's still there when Suzuki's not around, when he's around, but it's kind of even more pronounced when he's not around. And I do wonder if long term it's not the best. I mean, I know we talk about teams breaking up, but if you wanted my honest opinion, I think the two teams that are, even though they they're actually younger in kayfabe. They are not as fresh as Suzuki Goon has been over the past few years, and that would be Chaos and Bullet Club. And I think both of those teams have kind of run their course, run their route. And I would be fine if they completely were disbanded and were the members were dispersed into whatever else you want to do. You're the booker, you decide. I think most of the guys in Suzuki Goon benefit quite a bit from being in Suzuki Goon. And it, I do find it troubling to figure out where they may or may not land as a group, which is why I am right now, and I could be wrong, I'm inclined to think that either at Wrestle Kingdom or more likely New Year's Dash, we do get some sort of surprise, maybe not all the members, but of some sort of new unit that is birthed out of Suzuki-Goon, especially considering the turbulent history of Suzuki Goon as it came out of Kojima Goon when they turned their back on Satoshi Kojima and anointed Minoru Suzuki as the new leader. I wouldn't be surprised if we see an 
an actual ousting of uh, Minoru Suzuki from the group and maybe a new leader anointed. And the two guys that seem the most likely would be either Taichi or Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, you know, there's also, you know, a lot of rumors of Suzuki doing more pro wrestling Noah next year. I believe they have a show coming up where, where, there's, where there's an, an ex-mystery uh, partner in a six-man tag where a lot of people think he could be the mystery partner for that. Um, so, obviously, if he's going to work you know, more Noah next year, you know, we, we've kind of seen Suzuki being phased out. He's an older guy. They're trying to make room for younger guys. Um, I can see that. And, you know, the interesting thing, too, you know, his comments, Suzuki says, he said, you know, Suzuki Gun is just an army. That's all. That's all it ever was. And like you mentioned, it seems more of like a family with guys like Saber and Taichi and Despi, um, and Doki. Like we saw the, the great stories they've been telling on the Takataichi Mania shows, and there's even some of the backstage promos between those guys um, throughout the years. So yeah, it could be this thing of sort of like it's our family to you. We were just your army. And then, you know, New Year's Dash, like, they, yeah, beat this man, and then it's, yeah, Saber Goon or Tai Chi Goon or a completely new, different name or whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Again, they might not go that way. They might be, like, tipping their hand and and telling us. Oh, also, I guess Road to Tokyo Dome is another opportunity. They're having that final match on the last night, you know, supposed to be very heartfelt, supposed to be confetti or, or snow coming, you know. What if it's not a happy merriment moment? What if it is the the dissolution of of Minoru Suzuki and the ousting of him from the fucking company and something new being born? Um, That's also on the table. So it is very fun. It's very exciting. I don't want to wildly speculate on everybody because there's a lot of members in the group, but uh, it's going to be interesting to say the least. Also, rumors of, you know, Jake Lee leaving all Japan and, people kind of guesstimating that maybe he somehow lands in Suzuki Goon or what is remaining of it after its dissolution. So a lot is on the table. Yeah. After that, let's move on. So the next match of the night, we have the fifth uh, tag match. We have LIJ, the team of Bushi, Sonata, Naito, and Titan, and they defeated the Bebop tag team, Tanahashi and Toriano. As they teamed up with the Wild Hips tag team of Clark Connors and Ryazuki Taguchi, eight minutes and forty seconds. And Jeremy, I got to tell you, thought this was a low point of the evening. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of just a a nothing matchup here. Again, you had you know Bushi and Teton who were in the junior tag leagues, not a Naito who were in the, the heavyweight tag league against Tanahashi and Yana who were from the heavyweight tag league, and then uh, Wild Hips from the junior tag league. And yeah, it was just kind of a, a nothing match there. It felt like the Lij team. Wasn't really trying really hard, especially, you know, Naito. They're just kind of like, this was a match. There's really no story here. Like, these are just leftover parts from the other teams who haven't got matches. Let's throw them together. Um, I guess, in hindsight, it's a little bit of a teasing between what would happen between Naito and Tanahashi for uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Um, But besides that, there wasn't really any other story elements here, and it was just kind of a match. We'll get to it, but I feel like I kind of... uh told people that that's what was probably was going to happen and i got the receipts for it so mm-hmm. just saying um yeah and we'll talk more about these teams we got a, a quick little recap we're going to do on the different tag leagues we're not going to go in depth but uh i'll ask you some questions when we get done here sixth match of the night we have the bull club team of gato jay white taiji ishimori as they defeated the team of 
Okada, Master Wato, and Tamatonga, 10 minutes and 51 seconds. Yeah, so I'll see building up here the big IWGB World Heavyweight title match with uh, Jay White and Kazuchika Okada, continuing the, the rivalry between Bullet Club and uh, Tamatonga, and also uh, getting a preview of the, the junior match uh, with two of the four guys, Master Wato and Ishimori, in there. Uh, the end of the matchup, you had uh, Switchblade Jay White hitting the Blade Runner on Wato and Okada. Um, and then he uh, dragged over uh, Ishimori's body onto Wato while he put his foot on Okada. Ref count the three count, so Bull Club wins, and you get a visual, even though they weren't legal men, a visual pinfall of Jay White over Okada, which leaves you know, more speculation of, oh, is Jay going to win? Because Jay has Okada's number. He has uh, the most wins in their uh, rivalry. Um, so again, it's kind of leading to that angle of like, all right, Jay has all the momentum. He's going to, you know, easily beat Okada come Wrestle Kingdom. So here's what happened. I did watch this whole show, but my girlfriend was down the street taking photos of the sky because she's a photographer and she does weird shit like that. And, um, she gave me a call and was like, Hey, there's a Boston Terrier out here. I need your help to catch him. He's trying, he's trying to run away from me. And I was like, what the fuck? And I looked at the screen and the match was going on. And so far it hadn't really caught me. And I thought to myself, I only have a limited amount of time before we have to record the show. I could either pause it and push the recording time out even further than I already have, or go help rescue this dog and let the match fucking play. Because to me, it didn't matter. And that tells you everything you need to know about how I feel about the build to Okada and Jay White for the world title in the main event of the Tokyo Dome. I didn't watch probably a good half of this match. I went to go rescue some sort of Boston Terrier or short note snouted dog. I don't know. We, we, we saved it. But uh, when I came back, match was done, and we were on to the next chapter. <laughs> well, Josh, I mean, this, this was your last chance to see Jay White in Japan for the year because he's not going to be on the road to Tokyo Dome. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> this is oh, amongst. Man. I wanted. I wanted at one point to be like this is amongst the worst main event builds and just hyped main events. You know, at least in the last five to six years. But we're getting to the territory when it comes to January Fourth Tokyo Domes that it's amongst the worst ever of all time. So that's where we're at. Anyways. Speaking of terrible, let's move on to the seventh <laughs> match of the night. Oh my gosh. We had the never open weight title match between Bright Lights, Carl Anderson, and unfortunately, the defending champion successfully defended his title against Young Hikaleo, accompanied by Jado, in a 10 minute, 16 minute, or I'm sorry, 16 second fucking nothing match. And Carl Anderson is still the never open weight champion. Yeah, the, the news broke pretty much right before this match that Anderson was going to be at Wrestle Kingdom, which also made people think, all right, he's retaining and he's going to face probably Tamatonga. And yeah, this was one of the worst never open weight title matches I've ever seen since watching New Japan and reviewing it. 
uh, Carl Anderson put out one of the laziest performances I've ever seen since watching and reviewing New Japan. Um, and this just did no favors for anybody. Uh, it made Hikaleo look like a geek. Um, and he's been, you know, doing some good work and he's up and coming young guy. And, you know, before we thought this was going to be an opportunity to kind of put him over and elevate him. But to me, it kind of made him look like a geek with Anderson just kind of doing some lazy legwork to quote unquote chop the big man down. Um, and then, you know, having the shenanigans there um, towards the end and eating a gun stun and losing. Uh, but yeah, it was a pretty nothing match. Um, I mean, it was, it was an awful, awful showing here, which is supposed to be, you know, one of the big highlight matches on this card. It was right. one of the only title matches on this card. Um, and, you know, I get it. You know, Carl, he's, his main you know gig now is WWE. And also, he doesn't want to get hurt and, and mess up anything that's going on there. But, man, like, he could have given a, li- a little bit more effort. Like, how, you know, actually try. Like, try to get Hikaleo over in this. Even though he's losing, like, get him over. Like, put some work in. But. He did not do that, and, you know, post-match, he's like, you know, you think I came to Japan to do a jizzob, you know, pulling the whole carny thing? It's just just awful. Yeah, man, I mean, I get it from a certain standpoint. You know, there is a thing, there's probably a thought process that it's like, okay, he agreed to do two dates, right? Um, and, you know, it's funny for all the hubbleaboo about how terrible voices of wrestling are and how much of a liars they are and how they don't have sources. They said months and months and months ago that this guy was in discussion to work two final dates for new Japan. And lo and behold, the guy's working two dates for new Japan before he drops the belt. So, you know, tip of the hat to those guys, Joe and rich. Um, (laughs) That being said, um, I think the thought process here is like, okay, if he's going to work a final date in the Dome, which is something that I said on the air many times in the past, that that makes the most sense. But I did think he was going to drop the belt to Hikaleo. I I was thinking, you know, the whole youth movement, they're trying to escalate and move these guys forward as quickly as possible. We saw the, the um, you know, favor that they had Yujiro do for um, – for Hikaleo, which I'm kind of calling that into question now <laughs> with this most recent result. I was thinking that they just have the WWE guy, Carl Anderson, come in, do a quick job to Hikaleo on the big screen in, or on the big show in the Tokyo Dome and that be that. Instead, I think the thinking was we tease that we're going to do that at tag league. He ends up beating him in a shitty match. And I, I think this is probably the way he pitched it to them. I'm going to stink the joint out because they already hate me. They see me as a fed guy. They see me as this outsider. And then I'm going to come in and do a terrible performance. Right. And they're going to hate me for that. And then they're going to want me to drop the belt even more on January 4th. So it's building heat brother for the big match that's coming up. That's probably the way he spun it. And, and like, Gato's probably, oh, yeah, that's going to, like, yeah, be really heat, good. Yeah, brother, yeah. Yeah, that heat. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. All the while, Carl's like, I'm not going to have to take any bumps. 
I'm not going to have to do much work. It's going to keep me nice and safe so I can go back on the road and, you know, do house shows, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, all right, well, if he's just going to turn around and lose the belt to Tama, right? We could have just cut this all off six months ago. Seriously. There was no, like, there's, if he was just going to turn around and drop the belt back to Tama, he should have just lost to Tama before the G1. And, or I don't even know if the timeline works, but like, we should have found a way to make it work and just had him lose the belt back to Tama. And that be that and just move on. Because at this point, it's like Tama already beat, you know, Okada last year. He already beat Jay White this year. He's already like elevated himself to like an upper mid-carter, sometimes main eventer sort of status. Putting the never belt on him, sure, I guess it's going to help in a certain sense. But the follow-up to it is going to probably be lacking. And all the while, like you mentioned, Jeremy... This title has been a title that is like, you know, it's funny the way, you know, how the way people talk about the IC belt in WWE, mm-hmm. this legendary workhorse belt. There's only been a couple times in its history that it ever actually was like that. Most of the time, it's been pretty shitty. But because of the performances of a few guys in a few sorted eras, it has this aura about it as this workhorse title. Well, the Never title really is a fucking workhorse title. And I can guarantee you, if you took, like, even just say the five best Never title matches and compared it to, like, the top ten IC title matches, they're not going to compare to the top five Never title matches (laughs) that are on record. (laughs) This belt has always fucking ruled. And you've got this guy, Carl, coming out here and just stinking up the joint. And I understand the logic behind it, the heat that you're trying to draw, but I just feel like At this point, the company doesn't give a fuck. Carl doesn't give a fuck. I don't know why we should give a fuck. It didn't get Hikaleo over any more than it should have. Right. Which is what I thought the point was. And now Tama's taking a step back to face this guy on January 4th. It kind of just sucks across the board. Yeah. And then the whole post match angle, you know, he says, Oh, yeah, I'm going to be at the Tokyo Dome. He called out Tama Tonga. And Tama Tonga comes out there and is, you know, doing the post-match brawl with him, and then Carl ends up hitting him with a gun stun and leaves him laying. Makes Tam Tonga look like a bum. Like, this guy came out to fight this guy who just had a match, and he's getting laid out with a gun stun. It's like, don't you want to give, like, Tamo some momentum? Something. And, like, be like, all right, yeah, he has. he's going to be the guy, you know, to save the belt and get it from Carl, but he looks like a geek also. I think that... Him saying, you think I came to Japan to do a jizzob is more shoot than we want to give credence to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's- everyone's getting worked. And the only person who's not getting worked is Carl Anderson. And he pro- he's going to lose the title. But, like, I'm not even putting it past him to, like, actually end up looking bad in defeat at the end of the day when January 4th comes up. This whole thing is kind of like embarrassing. And I know there's a great way to spin it with the whole mentor-mentee relationship and years of build that have gone on between Talk and Shop and Tama's Island and the, the Bullet Club and yada yada. But like at the end of the day, it's about a match. It's about two guys step into the ring. The bell rings. The bell and has a bell to rings. Ring. And it's going to suck. 
And the thing is, you know, this this should have been a, a hot angle and a hot story. I remember when we were at Resurgence in uh, California a couple years ago when you had the face-off between G.O.D. and the Good Brothers. The crowd was, like, going. That shit was hot. Crowd was going crazy. Yes, Did sir. we ever get that match? No, I don't think so. <gasps> we never even got a book. A G.O.D. versus Good Brothers. We didn't get one match. I want to no, say, no, 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 no. Did it no. happen in Impact? They did it in Impact. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Nobody saw it. It's <laughs> uh, terrible. Yeah. This is terrible. Like, this, this should have like, been a hot story. Like, there's, like you mentioned, there's so much back history and story with Tama and Carl oh Anderson. Oh, God. This is One Nation Radio. Put them in a coffin-worthy material. This is terrible. Yeah. Oh, God. And also, like, I get it. If you're trying to build up, you're, you're selling it as though, like, we're going to sacrifice Hikaleo to build up Tamatonga. My answer to that is just build them both fucking up. Have a great match with Hikaleo. Have a great match with Tamatonga. Let's retroactively go back and have a great match with Tanahashi, one of the greatest <laughs> performers of all time. And while you're at it, go back and have another great match with Tamatonga. If, if Carl Anderson had just come out here and had great matches, with these in these four instances, we wouldn't be having this discussion. I wouldn't give a fuck about him carrying the belt and being in WWE and the politics. It's because he his matches fucking suck. Yeah. I shouldn't have had this juice because I feel like I'm doing an FOH bit. Like, <laughs> and, and we did draft this man during FOH, and it was worse than this. Oh, my bad. So if you guys haven't heard it, you need to go download that because... You know, it, it was worse than this. Actually, Jeremy, you're the one that drafted that shit. And you went harder than me. Yeah, dude, I, I went in on him on the, the draft show. Um, but, yeah, I mean. I'm over it. Yeah, at this point, like, let's get to the Dome. Let's get the belt on Tama. And let's get rid of, you know, let's be done with Carly Anderson for good. But, like, it, it's to the point where it's like you can call us marks for, like, complaining and hating it. But it's go away heat at this point. It's not like I'm looking forward to this like, oh my god, I want to... Like, when Tamatonga, when he faced Jay White in the G1, I was like, fuck yeah, beat this dude. Get your revenge. But at this point, it's just like, alright, beat this guy so he can get out of here. But I don't know what the fuck creative has for you afterwards. We we definitely have belief in Tamatonga. We're fans of his, but the whole thing is so sullied by shitty matches and a guy we don't want to see that the whole affair is so drab. It sucks. Yeah. It's really dragging things down. Ugh. Anyways, semi-main event, eighth match of the night, Super Junior Tag League Finals. The chaos team of Leo Rush and Yo defeated the Bullet Club team of Ace Austin and Chris Bay 21 minutes and 10 seconds. And Jeremy, before you take it, I just want to say this. I kind of knew Ace Austin Chris Bay wouldn't win this, although I did think that they'd find a way to finagle their way into potentially. I think both of us were calling for a triple threat match, but I knew they weren't going to have one or even hypothetically two all Gaijin tag team finalists for both of these tournaments. And so I really knew Ace Austin Chris Bay was not winning this tournament, period. And yeah. it seemed very clear to me from the very beginning that Leo Rush and Yo would either win or be in some sort of situation where after they won, they'd be in a triple threat. I think we both called that. Yeah. It is weird how many people didn't see this from the beginning. 
considering they did a whole angle introducing Leo Rush just before the tournament started. Well, I mean, since Leo Rush has been in New Japan, they've, they've been trying to make him a big deal since the very first time he came in. Like, they've always done, like, right. vignettes or big, you know, appearances or debuts. He's been in, you know, the uh, Super J Cups. He's, you know, done stuff on Strong. He's been on the New Japan U.S. pay-per-views. Like, they've been trying to capitalize off of what a great talent Leo Rush is and just the momentum he had uh, coming out of NXT. And... Due to injuries and pandemics and mental health uh, issues and stuff like that, it just hasn't worked out the way they wanted it to. And so now they're finally, they finally got Leo Rush in Japan. They're finally able to capitalize probably on a significant contract they have with him. Um, and, you know, use the guy. He's a great talent. And now they're finally getting to use him in Japan. So, yeah, definitely they're going to highlight him um, in the Tokyo Dome. Nice. Now, um, I got to tell you, Jeremy, I know that I'm looking here and I can see that you were high on this match. I personally, and maybe it's just because I'm coming in as an outsider, I wasn't that high on the, on the junior finals for whatever reason. And it was my understanding that these teams had a, a very highly heralded match earlier in the tournament, right? Yeah. Was it the opening night? Uh, no, I think opening night they it was uh, Leo versus Catch Two Two. That yeah, I heard a lot about that match, but um, this match just seemed to kind of come and go for me for whatever reason. But may, maybe you can clue me in. I don't know what I'm missing here. Yeah, I don't know if it was because yeah, I've been I watched the whole tournament, just kind of watched how these teams progress. But I don't know. I thought it was a, a really fast paced matchup here. I thought it told a good story of. You know, isolating uh, Yo at one point in the match. I thought there was a lot of great near falls. I thought guys were working hard, a lot of cool dives, a lot of cool moves. Um, obviously, it came down to some miscommunication with uh, Ace Austin and Chris Bay, which uh, came down to uh, Yo getting to hit the direct drive at the end and, and pinning Ace Austin and getting a big win for the team. So I don't know. Maybe I was just into it a little bit more, but uh, I don't know. I a bit for some of the near falls, uh, but there's a lot of cool dives and maneuvers these are two of the te- top teams from the tournament that worked hard every night um like we've been saying um leo rush and yo sure both have motivated each other um and ace austin chris bay they came in and uh another were a really top team filled the tournament had a lot of really fun matchups um so i don't know i i enjoyed it a lot nice well um as far as the post match leo rush and yo they end up winning the match and um, I noticed that Leo Rush cut a promo. Actually, it's actually not even post-match. It's at the end of the evening where he talked about of all the evenings and all the accolades and all the achievements he's had in his career, winning this tournament on this evening with Yo as his partner is the greatest achievement of his entire life, right? Mm-hmm. And I heard that he'd also been saying that he is – Chaos for life. Yes, his family. I am highly suspicious about all of these claims, (laughs) considering that it's Leo Rush, considering his history. I got a feeling that this, I don't know. I don't want to be that guy who's like, it's going to be a swerve, bro. But like, it feels like it might be a swerve. Like they're going to lose and he turns on you. Maybe, yeah. 
Mm. I don't. I mean, I like the natural inclination is he would go to Bull Club, but I don't know if Bull Club needs another junior. But they might. Fuck it. You know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but either way, I mean, were you happy with the outcome here? I know that you were high on this Bull Club tag team. You almost nominated them for tag team of the month in it, and then you changed it last minute from Catch Two Two and them to Aussie Open. So, what were your thoughts on that aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what you were saying, like initially of knowing, like, all right, you you need some domestic talent on this uh, Wrestle Kingdom show, and so, I mean, Yo and Leo from the very beginning were one of my favorites to win or get in the title match somehow, um, and so yeah, I was not disappointed with Leo and Yo winning again. They were a, another great team in the tournament. They had a lot of great matches throughout the tournament, so. I'm perfectly happy with Leo and Yo um, going to the finals. I think, like we said, Leo Rush, he is very motivated right now. He's super talented. Um, and so, yeah, he's been great on this tour. And so I think um, him and Yo together, I think, are, are you know a nice shot in the arm uh, in the junior tag division. It's a shot in the arm for Yo's career. You know, Yo has been just kind of aimless. Um, he's since breaking up with Sho and Rapungi. 3k and so i think it's great for him yo is showing he's being more aggressive he's showing fire he's showing all the things that we wanted to see once the split happened he's doing all that stuff now with leo rush um and them and catch 2-2 had a great match in the tournament so i think the wrestling in the match will be great as well um austin and bay um those guys did great work in the tournament and you know there'll probably be more shots for those guys in the future um and again they're you know quote-unquote impact guys even though they're in bullet club while you know you have yo domestic contract contract guy i'm assuming leo rush probably has a new japan of america deal or maybe he has a new japan deal not sure um but he seems to be contracted in some form or fashion so yeah definitely made sense for these guys to go in and i'm happy to see that well we were both correct in um accurately predicting that the chaos team of leo rush and yo would win the junior uh tournament we weren't fully correct in the fact that there'd be a triple threat but we were correct on the winners on that side right so i mean nice. yeah we were just going off of, of past history but i am happy that new japan is you know is just going straight up tag match here and if it was any other tour other than um the road to tokyo dome i would think that they had the uh ability to change it to a triple threat between now and then but we know that once they've done videos and the expensive promos they're not changing that shit. So <laughs> it's a done deal. We did have one question. It's more of a uh, just a funny comment from uh, Hawaiian Punch BB. He said, during the Wrestle Kingdom press conference, Leo Rush stated that all the tag league matches were only practice for the Wrestle Kingdom match. By his logic, do you think that all of his retirements were only practice for the real retirement. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which I, I love that. I think that's the best thing he's ever written into us. So. <laughs> and then uh, your main event, the World Tag League 2022 Finals. Uh, we had the team of Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. They, to the surprise of many, but maybe not those who were plugged in, defeated the Aussie Open team of Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis with Gideon Gray, 28 minutes, 22 seconds, and what I thought was a really great classic tag league final match. Yeah, I love this tag league final. I've seen a lot of people kind of way lower than I am, but I don't know. I thought the stage was set well. I thought they told a a great story, and, you know, I started questioning things 
earlier on a few weeks ago when Aussie Open defeated Bishamon, I was like, mm, something don't seem like something's weird here. <laughs> like, because Bishamon, after that, Bishamon kept winning and was, you know, tied up with these guys. I'm like, well, if you're going with Aussie Open Bishamon for the finals, which makes sense because Bishamon won the finals last year. Like, why would you have Aussie Open beat them earlier in the league if that's going to be the finals and then beat them again? Because that's going to kind of bury your, your top domestic tag team, beating them twice in the league. And then, like you mentioned earlier, that would be another um, Gaijin versus Gaijin match at the Dome. And so I started putting the pieces together. And me, you know, me and MJ does PR were talking about it a couple weeks ago, too. Like, it does kind of seem sense. And even Karen said it last week, too. Yeah, for Bishamon. To get the win here, you need the uh, some domestic talent on the card. They are the top domestic tag team. And, you know, Gato loves doing back-to-back-to-back um, tournament wins. So here we got these guys. We talked about that in the preview. Yep, so back-to-back tag league wins for these guys. They're going to the Dome to face FTR, a fresh matchup for FTR. But, I mean, I, I love this match. I thought there were so many great uh, back-and-forth that the near falls were so great. They were so, and the funny thing is, I went in spoiled watching. I knew. I did too. I knew Bishamon had won watching this match, but even as I was watching it, I was popping because I was, I was looking for where, where it's going to end. And there were so many points where I thought it was going to be over, and they just kept going and kicking out and kicking out. And there were so many great spots. Um, Goto hitting the, the GTR off the apron to Kyle Fletcher through the table on the outside was crazy. Um, there was an awesome um, destroyer counter that Yoshihashi did at one point. Um, so many counters from um, the Shoto and uh, Aussie Open's uh, double team move, the, the Coriolis. Um, there were so many great back and forth near falls and false finishes. Um, this was an awesome main event here. Yeah, it was really great. I, I'm not sure that I um, have the same level of um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is like, I just wasn't as into it maybe necessarily as you were because I didn't see the tournament. So it was hard for me to kind of in investment. I didn't have the same level of investment into it. I did think from the outset, I know both of us thought that Aussie open could potentially win this tournament. And the very fact that FTR were the champions always did give me pause because the idea that you have Gaijin champions and then Gaijin challengers winning the tag league to challenge them at Wrestle Kingdom seemed a little bit dubious, except for the fact that it's FTR and Aussie Open. And there was a part of me that was like, they might be hyped enough for that rematch considering the results from Royal Quest Two, that they might want to do it again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The the one thing that I didn't like is that remember when they uh at Battle Autumn, they did that whole entire backstage segment where the two teams came face to face and got, you know, heated and made it very clear. It seemed very clear going into this tournament that that was like a big feud that was going to be paid off at the end of the tournament. And it was, and it's not one of those things where, like, I I know that the people listening, one of the answers they might say is like, well, it's New Japan. People say whatever the fuck they want backstage and go into business for themselves. And yes, that is true. But it's a little different when the company has all the guys 
walking in in matching suits and they have the cameras set perfectly for that moment where the interaction comes and then they promote it all over their social media on every single channel nonstop for a whole day. Mm-hmm. It seemed to me very clear based off that particular promotion that we may potentially be getting that match at Wrestle Kingdom. Now, I'm not saying the match isn't going to happen, the rematch down the line. I think there's too much money for that to not happen, and that's probably going to uh, maybe telegraph a little bit what I think is going to happen at Wrestle Kingdom when it comes to Bishamon and FTR. But that was the main catalyst for why I thought Aussie Open might win this tournament. Had that never happened, I would have picked Bishamon day one because, like we said during the preview, they are the top domestic tag team going in New Japan today. And it would make all the sense given um, Ghetto's proclivity for having back-to-back tournament winners and making history plus we've also talked about it in the past where when teams get facelifts and new looks and new music and yada yada and they've already been a pushed commodity in the past that's like a recipe for them to win the tournament anyways right exactly right out the game. yeah they got so, yeah new music yoshihashi got new matching gear for the gotos um the, the bishamon team name because you know a couple of years ago they were just yoshihashi and goto now they're right. Bish, now they're Bishamon. They have the staffs, the gear, the music, the tag team finisher, the Shoto, um, the lore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it it made all sense for for Bishamon to win here, and I, you know I think there are some fans who are upset that they're not not getting the the Aussie Open FTR rematch at the Tokyo Dome, uh, but I feel like that match is going to be coming really quickly. Yeah, and you know what? Again, I think it's another case, like you mentioned, Jeremy. Those certain there's certain kinds of like casual fans, like the ones that were freaking out about the Jonah situation. A lot of them were the same types of fans that were freaking out about this situation. Um, I mean, if you've been paying attention to the company, Bishamon is their most protected and pushed domestic group or tag team that they have going today, especially with the hypothetical dissolution of um, Suzuki-Goon and Dangerous Techers potentially breaking up forever, which is on the table, mm-hmm. that even more so elevates Bishamon and their standings in the tag team division. So I'm not surprised by this at all. One thing I am surprised about are the ardent, hardcore New Japan voices in the community that don't like Bishamon and think they're boring. And the only thing I got to say for that to you, if that's if you fall in that category, is like maybe I don't know, maybe tag team wrestling stuff for you. Maybe you should watch something else because Goto and Yoshihashi fucking rule. And I don't know what to tell you. Like yeah, you don't like them, especially like, Yoshihashi, man. This guy, yeah. is fired up. He's motivated. He's going out there. He seems like the team leader here. He's killing it in all these matchups. He got the the big win here in in this matchup here. Um, yeah, their their chemistry and some of their um, tag team, you know, double team combos are just really great, and they they become a really top tag team to watch. Eight twenty nine p.m. I got uh, a message from my girlfriend. It said, "OMG, who do you think you are?" LMAF, LMFAO, and I was like, "What?" She's like, "The intro you did." And I was like, "When I played Eric Bischoff, LOL." <laughs> 
she was like, yes, I'm pretty sure she can hear this. So it's kind of funny, but um, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I get it. A lot of people really want to see Aussie open an FTR again. I'm one of them. I mean, that's why both of us predicted that they'd win the tournament. And those guys had an incredible tournament Aussie Open did and they really did establish themselves in Japan at this point and I mean little spoiler alert they may or may not be leading in tag team of the year for the keeping it strong style awards which is kind of crazy because they only actually got into Japan proper in like what November yeah that's that's yeah battle autumn tour yeah yeah it's kind of crazy but um with that being said it makes all the sense in the world that Bishamon would be repeat winners and that they, you know, they, they need to sell tickets for the dome. And as hot as that match might be for Western audiences, having a chaos team established as a challenger on a night when Kazushiko Kata is challenging for the world title and the fact that they're a domestic product and the fact that this is a Japanese company that pushes Japanese wrestlers it's not that surprising whatsoever. What would have actually been surprising is had they gone with Aussie Open. Yeah. And we did think that they had enough cachet to maybe do that because I did think, like, there's two um, tag leagues running simultaneously. Maybe you do a domestic team and then a gaijin team, and there's enough there to maybe do that. But in this case, they were like, nope, we're going to have at least one domestic product in both of those uh, finalists. And once I saw the finals and that it was two chaos teams that won on the same night, I was like, of course, this, this total Gato booking makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't see it from the, the outset. And for those who are, you know, impatient for the rematch, all I'll say is Yokohama arena night two yeah. is right. Is a few weeks away after January 4th. So I agree. I agree. I think that totally, uh, we did have one question from, okay, okay. Eight ninety. Do you think they're trying to breathe life back into chaos with the double tag league win and new addition in Leo Rush? Um, I'm not so sure the wins are so much about chaos as a whole. I think, like we were saying, they're really trying to establish Bishamon, and they've been waiting for a long time to get Leo Rush in Japan. Um, so I think it's pretty much all about, yeah, just establishing Bishamon as a top domestic tag team and then kind of establishing this new team of Yo and Leo Rush. Um, and it just so happens that they're both in chaos. I don't really think, and maybe there was some thought in the booking that way, but I really don't think the main call here was like, all right, we need to, you know, bump chaos up here. I I agree. And I don't have a lot more to add to that. So that's going to do it for our super junior and world tag league finals. Let's jump into our final thoughts and review of the tag league as a whole. I'm going to run through the standings. We don't have to give grades to each and every one of them, but I think it would be a good idea. I'm going to ask you a few questions, Jeremy. You can give me your overall thoughts on the tournament, if that sounds good. Yeah. So the NJPW World Tag League 2022 final standings, we had Bishamon ending with 14 points, seven wins, two losses. Aussie Open ended with 14 points, the same uh, record. TMDK, Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols, 12 points. Naito and Sonata, 12 points. Great Okan and Aaron Hinare, 10 points. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Toriyano, 8 points. Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer, 8 points. Evil and Yujiro, 6 points. Bad Luck, Folly, and Chase Owens, 4 points. They had to forfeit their remaining matches 
after Owens withdrew from the tournament due to, due to a death in the family. And then Coughlin and Gabe Kidd ended up with two points. That's one win and eight losses. So general thoughts, Jeremy, you just tell me things that uh, stick out to you. Teams that did really well, teams that did really bad. You know, what were your feelings and overall thoughts on the heavyweight side of the World Tag League? Overall, I feel like this is uh, one of the the better World Tag Leagues that I've watched and reviewed since we've been doing the show in 2017. Um, nice. I think, you know, with the inclusion of so many new and fresh tag teams, it really made um, it fun and exciting to watch. Obviously, Aussie Open, we gave them November Wrestle of the Month. They were obviously probably one of the top teams to watch in this tournament. Um, those guys, you know, amazing chemistry and, and killed it every night. Like that that comment you said where somebody was like, oh, yeah, there's these little buildings and they're, you know, killing themselves. Like, yeah, like they were going out here each night, whether it was a clap crowd or not, whether it was Corkin or some other smaller building, they were going out here and having, um, you know, really great matchups night after night. Uh, Bishamon was another really good team um, in the tournament to watch. TMDK, um, Haste, and Nichols were really good. Uh, Naito and Sonata, they were all right. Um, they had some nights when they were really good, when the, the TMDK match and the, the Aussie Open match. But there, there were some nights where they were maybe a little bit lazy. Like Re- uh, What? <laughs> Naito and Sonata from LIJ were lazy? That's <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, Jeremy. That is crazy. Uh, don't, don't besmirch the good name of Los Ingranables de Japón. <laughs> Workhorses. Those guys are fucking animals. They do nothing but give their best every night. <laughs> oh, yeah. There were some nights. I don't know if they were it was a mix of like lazy and Naito's knees just being shot. <laughs> there were several nights where he botched the Tornado DT and the Destino. Like, I he, heard about that. Yeah. He, he was looking pretty rough on this tour. Uh, Okan Hanare, they were really good. Um, Yano and Tanahashi, more kind of your... your... But, but before you move on, I want to say one thing. There was some very public outrage about Tetsuya Naito not making it into the finals, not winning the World Tag League. Let's put this perspective, Naito fans. Had they won the World Tag League, they would be facing FTR for the world title for the IWGP heavyweight tag team titles. Now, uh, I don't know how you feel about where they ended up, or at least where Naito ended up. I guess not a two when it comes to uh, the Wrestle Kingdom lineup card. But like, I agree with you, Jeremy. I listened to the show last week and you, you basically said to the people like, is that where you want Tetsuya Naito to end up is in a world tag league match against, or in a, in a IWGP heavyweight tag team title match against FTR. Is that like the grand spot that this guy that you claimed never got his big run should end up? Is that what you were actually angry and lobbying for? Was that they win tag league? I don't know. The whole discourse about it just seemed so fucking bizarre to me. Well, it's one of those things where I don't know which fan base it is, but people, you know, it's the Naito stands. I know, but I think there's some probably some of the casual fans we're talking about too. You know, they're seeing like, yeah. oh, well, Naito and Sonata are, are not on the card, so they have to win the tag league. That's the only way they're getting to the Tokyo Dome. And like, it's the John Cena storyline when he didn't have a he didn't have a path to WrestleMania. 
Right. And like from day one, like LIJ was not a favorite for me <laughs> to win this. I thought, yes, they would do very well, which they did here. They they got 12 points um, tied for, for taking place there with um, TMDK um, with 12 points. And it's like, um, obviously, I, I thought it made a lot of sense for them to do well, but you're not going to put Naito, your, your top star, in an IWGP right. tag team title match at the Tokyo Dome. Yes, I know these guys have had title, tag title matches before, but those were on, like, what, Summer Struggle and, like, some of those lower pay-per-views. They weren't right. on Wrestle Kingdom. They weren't on the, the Tokyo Dome. Um, you're not going to put Naito there. And so it, it didn't make sense for me at all to think that these guys would win this. I agree, and I think it's one of those things where it's like, they moved the goalpost. They were like the 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 Naito fans were like he's destined this year to be in the main event of the Tokyo Dome against Naito, and then it suddenly shifted where they realized that wasn't going to happen. They're like, all right, well, he's got to win the tag league. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, no, there's another path. You just got to be patient. And I think those of us who were already thinking logically was like, he's probably going to be in Muto's final match, and he is. And it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Um, Tanahashi and Yano, kind of your, your comedy act here with the whole, you know, bebop thing. I heard bad things about Tanahashi in this tournament. I heard he definitely was like healing it up and having fun. But I heard physically the things that I've been saying for like a year and a half about Tanahashi being struggling. I'm hearing other people start to say that, which makes me feel not good. Did you notice any of that? I mean, for me, it, it hasn't been any different than it has been the past year. Like, I don't feel like he was struggling any more um, than he has been the last year or so. So, uh, to me, I thought he was fine. I mean, honestly, he, he really didn't do much. It, it was a lot of him, you know, a lot of shenanigans, a lot of, you know, funny haha with Yano. I'll trust you over them, but I did hear that. And I, it was concerning me because I was like, damn, is it getting worse? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it was worse. I honestly, he wasn't even really even trying that hard. So, um, The two guys I was very interested in that I uh, unfortunately wasn't able to see much of was Gabe Kidd and Alex Coughlin. I did see the botch where they were doing the uh, – and I, I don't even know if it was a botch, but I know that they were doing the spot where um, – Coglin was power bobbing kid into his opponent and then yeah. I guess missing. There's one night where he did it pretty high angle and it looked like kid might have banged his head a little bit. But yeah. uh what were your thoughts on these guys run? Because obviously they came in as like the young I don't want to call them young lions, they're not quite lions, but they kind of were slotted like lions in the in the cave. Yeah, I mean these guys came out here and they they worked hard very night. Also, they were telling a story that, you know, they're not used to teaming together. There was a lot of miscommunications between them. They even teased like some distension and breaking up um, uh, on the way there um, towards the final, towards the last night. And so, you know, finally when they got that big win over um, House of Torture, that was kind of a turning point for them in the tournament. Um, So, yeah, I mean, their scores are deceiving for their performance. They performed very well. Um, in the tournament, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of them. So the Super Junior Tag League final standings, we had Yo and Leo Rush, seven wins, two losses, 14 points. Ace, Austin, and Chris Bay were tied with them. TJP and Francesco Akira catch 22. They had 12 points. 
Alex Zane and L. Lindemann, 12 points. Bushi and Teton, 12 points. Kanemaru and Doki, 8 points. Taguchi and Clark Connors, 6 points. Flying Tiger, the only returning team to this tournament, uh, coming in surprisingly at 4 points. Very surprising. Kushida and Kevin Knight, 4 points. And then the lowest performing team of the tournament, Show and Dick Togo, 4 points as well. Yeah, overall, um, again, one of the best junior tag leagues uh, in a long time. And like you mentioned, a lot of uh, fresh faces there of Flying Tiger being the only team returning. Um, Yo and Leo Rush, Ace Austin and Chris Bay, Catch 2-2, Zane Lindemann, Bushi and Teton. I mean, all those teams, those those top teams in the rankings there um, were all really, really good teams that, that worked um really hard they all those teams had really exciting matchups uh throughout the tournament and these are all teams i want to see you know back next year and, and established throughout the year as either junior tag champions or or challengers uh throughout the year uh yoshinobu kanamaru and, and doki they they did uh really good there as well coming in with eight points they started the tournament off pretty rough um you know they were going in um like zero and five at one point, and then they made they made the big comeback there, picked up uh, four wins there towards the end, ending up with eight points. Um, uh, Wild hips, Taguchi and Connors, again very similar to the Bebop tag team with um, a lot of comedy, a lot of shenanigans, a lot of haha, a lot of seeing both of their their backsides. Um, so kind of a disappointing role for Clark Connors, but it was kind of what you would get from Taguchi. Um, mm. Flying Tiger, um, a, a little bit disappointing point total here considering they were the only team to return and they were junior tag champs last year, but also you have Tiger Mask in there who's, you know, kind of being phased out and so many fresh, uh, young new faces in here. So they ate a lot of losses, but had some good matches. Uh, Kushida and Kevin Knight, kind of similar to Coughlin and Kid, where the point totals don't match the performance every night they were having really good matches and their team was pretty much all about spotlighting uh kevin knight and starting to get him over and it seems like they're going to be an established team going forward and then um show and dick togo similar to you know evil and Udro and, and the heavyweight side of things um the whole story of those guys the shenanigans were not working out most of the tour um ate a lot of losses and then kind of played spoiler towards the end for some teams house of tortures in the mud huh yeah, in the mud, big time. Uh, no, never title match, six-man title match at the Dome. So aside from the obvious, we know who won both of these tag leagues. Um, what would be your MVP team for each league? Would it be Aussie Open and then uh, Ace Austin and Chris Bay? Probably a tie between Austin and Bay and Catch 2-2. Okay, gotcha. And then Aussie Open was your tag team of the World Tag League? Yeah. Um, I know you kind of glossed over it. How did TMDK do? Were they in that same range or like a tier below? Yeah, I mean, I thought they were, were very good. I would say that maybe a little bit below Aussie Open, but, you know, they're established tag team. They have a ton of history together, and they were like a really good veteran team to have in there. Nice. So I see you've got a top 10 list of tag matches here. Let's just treat it. Instead of going over the top 10, my real question is, excursion, 
or I'm sorry, tag team match of the year, we're usually looking at a four and a quarter type level of recommended match. For someone like me who didn't see the tournament, out of these 10, what are the matches I need to go back and watch? And what do you think realistically might have a good shot at making our tag team match of the year list? Keep in mind, four to four and a quarter-ish type of range. Yeah, and again, I, I might be super high on some of the stuff compared to others, but I think both Tag League Finals will be in contention. Bishamon versus Aussie Open and Lee Yo versus uh, Chris Bay and Ace Austin. Um, I, I think uh, Bane Austin against Sauce Hearts um, could be a contender. Catch 2-2 versus Lee Yo from the, the first night in Cork and Hall. And then, and then uh, Aussie Open versus LIJ. So that top kind of five there that I have there on, on the rundown, those are probably all that I, I can see as... Like a tier, a tier above yeah. the rest of the tournaments. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, you can't go wrong with um, watching pretty much any catch 2-2 match, any Aussie Open match, uh, Chris Aust- or Ace Austin and Chris Bay, Sauce Hearts, like uh, Bishamon had some really good matches. So, I mean, those were kind of the top teams and top matches there. Final couple questions before we move on. Um... Now, I know we kind of discussed in the preview for this tournament what it might be like having these two tournaments tied together. Did you find that it was overwhelming to have this level of tournaments back-to-back in such a short amount of time? Or was it kind of refreshing having the juniors and the heavies tied together at one time? Were there Was there any room for improvement or changes that you would make maybe splitting these up and putting them in different parts of the calendar. What were your, what was your experience watching all this together? So overall, I do like the idea of having the, the world tag league and junior tag league um, on the same tour and, you know, alternating nights between the tournaments. My main um, critique is, or complaint or however you want to say it is just the fact that it was such a short period of time and I think that was also due to um, historic crossover, which kind of bumped things back. And so you had a really accelerated, um, you know, couple of weeks there with this tournament. Had this been spread out just a little bit more, uh, I think it'd been a bit more palatable and easy for people to watch and keep up with. Um, I think this is a great time of year for it. I mean, overall, I still am not a fan of one block leagues. I, I think, you know, it's sure. more intriguing to have two blocks because I hate that you have a rematch in the finals of a match that you saw in the league, which I get there is creative storytelling that you can do um, with like they did with Leo and Ace Austin and Chris Bay. Like, you know, they lost those guys early in the tournament. They got the win back there. And same thing with Bishamon and Aussie Open. Bishamon got their win back towards the end. So I get that kind of storytelling, but I think it's more intriguing when you have two blocks, and then you get down to two teams who hadn't faced each other at all. But with the way they're doing this this tour and this um, schedule, that you probably can't do two blocks of each in the same time period. It'd probably be too much. Um, so if they're going to do the one block, I, I'm fine with them doing heavyweight night, junior night, and running it this way. Final thing for someone like me, obviously I was off the last couple weeks here. We've We've covered a lot of tag leagues over the years and sometimes there are storylines that are just very much self-contained within a tag league and they happen within a tag league but after it's over once Wrestle Kingdom comes they're gone 
and it, it's just over. And then there's some things that definitely lead to progressive growth over time. Um, since I missed most of this tournament, what are there any storyline changes, things that you think are going to have long-term growth that I need to have or at least be aware of or paid attention to? I know obviously we had like a, a graduation, things like that. Yeah, from the, the heavyweight side of things, I think honestly the main kind of thing story that I feel is going to continue is Aussie Open's quest to face FTR. Every okay. night, you know, they were cutting promos and being, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to face FTR in the Dome. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. So I think this is kind of that, that, that little tragedy booking that Gail likes and setting a little roadblock here for Aussie Open. Um, so I think because I do think we are going to get that rematch uh, eventually. So that, oh, that's probably the, the big story that's going on uh, that's going to carry out past this tournament from the heavyweight side of things. Um, I liked Gideon Gray's uh, intro for them. Yes. During the World Tag League Finals, talking about how they've been champions this many times on this many continents and conquered every place they've been, but not New Japan. Right. So, yeah, so that was um, good. And then from the junior um, side of things, probably the, the story that's going to carry out is just establishing Yo and Leo Rush as this new hot junior tag team. It seems like they're invested in making that a, a long-term team and that going forward. And then also Kevin Knight uh, graduating, getting matching gear to Kushida. Again, seems like that's going to be kind of a new, uh, you know, partnership going forward as well. And Kevin Knight kind of, you know, learning a lot from Kushida. Awesome. Well, that is going to do it for our coverage of the World Tag League. Thank you, Jeremy, for everything that you've done through this tour and I'm going to kick it back to you if you want to take over the rest of the show. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Yep, so uh, after the Tag League Finals, we had the Wrestle Kingdom press conference that revealed details for the upcoming Road to Tokyo Dome events, New Year's Dash, and further information regarding cheering crowds. Um, so the conference opened up with comments from NJPW President Takami Obari announcing the new guidelines that will allow crowds to have, in principle, vocal support starting at Wrestle Kingdom 17. Now, everybody pay attention to this because there's a lot of, you know, do this and don't do this uh, for, for the cheering rules. So this is what they say. As an important distinction is the rules concerning no loud voice cheering have not changed at events, Abari said. However, the definition definition of cheering has been allowed to change after our consultations to allow an, in principle, an effective return to cheering. Current government rulings state that long singing, rally songs, etc., are not allowed. So you can't sing, you know, a, a full theme song. However, counting with a referee. Cheering with a catchphrase like one, two, three, da, or chanting for wrestlers is allowed under the guidelines. So you can do your Naito catch, two, two, all that stuff you can do. You can count along with the ref. 
uh, as rally songs are disallowed, so are chants that might be longer might be longer than, for example, the chorus of a song. Singing to the length of a wrestler's entrance would be disallowed, Abari add, but with chants pre-pandemic lasting an average of 10 to 20 seconds, this is not a significant issue. And also, you can do like the Kaze ni Nere chants, and that's not a you know longer um, than a minute. Abari uh, noted that some venues won't recognize NJPW's new guidelines, but they will be in place starting at Wrestle Kingdom 17. So essentially, cheering is back, but there's a lot of you know finessing and finagling on the definitions and wordings on on, on how to cheer. Um, but essentially, cheering is back. <laughs> It sounds like, and I'm I'm just taking a guess here. It sounds like they're trying to find a way to finagle their way into like allowing cheering, but also having the perception of providing public safety by not allowing quote unquote prolonged cheers, knowing full well that that never occurred in New Japan to begin with. Right. <laughs> you know, like the longest cheer I can think of is someone being like, Kenny. <laughs> Right, or like you know, the, for like more than a couple seconds or something. Like right, that. or like the let's go Tai Chi, go home Tai Chi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, but I got the feeling that like the rest of the world has already moved on to the point where it's like everyone's just cheering and they're just trying to get their foot in the door so that eventually they could just not pay attention and just move on like the rest of us. Right. So. And, I, and I think for this Tokyo Dome show, which is a, a really big car, they they definitely wanted to bend over backwards to get more cheering possible for this show. And this is a fantastic news. I mean, a few weeks ago, it looked very much so like this wasn't even on the table. And now it is a reality. So it's great news. I'm glad for it. And I'm um, even more so looking forward to Wrestle Kingdom than I was prior. Yeah. So it was also announced during the press conference that New Year's Dash will have a mystery format. And if you're a longtime fan, you're probably saying, wait, New Year's Dash always had a mystery format, but they've, they've upped the mystery here. So matches will not be announced until wrestlers oh, prior. come They're out. not even going to announce it right. before the show starts. Yeah, so previous <gasps> years, they would have the ring announcer. As soon as the show starts, he would announce the full card. We wouldn't know until he announced the full card. But now they're not doing that. It's straight up mystery. You won't know what's happening until people's music hits, and that's when you'll know what match is happening. So only that's about- funny because I read that and I knew it, but I didn't register till now. <laughs> uh, but the only one match that we do know that will happen will be the four way match to determine the first KOPW champion for the year. So the final four. Participants from the Wrestle Kingdom 17 Rambo, they will compete in that fatal four-way and will get the first KOPW 2023 provisional champion. Great. Well, um, during this past week as well, we had the Wrestle Kingdom 17 full card announced. I'll go through the list here very quickly. So uh, on the pre-show, we have an opening match between Royhe Oiwa and Bolton Oleg in his debuting match for New Japan in an exhibition match. We have another preview match for the KOP 2023 New Japan Rambo. The final four finalists of that match will face off in the final four-way during New Year's Dash to crown the 2023 inaugural provisional (laughs) lineal 2023 KOPW champion. 
And then finally on the pre-show, we have an Antonio Inoki Memorial six-man tag team match as Togi Makame, Satoshi Kojima, returning from Noah, and <laughs> Yuji Nagata take on Tatsumi Fujinami, his old ass, Minoru Suzuki, his old ass, and Tiger Mask, <laughs> his old ass. <laughs> so we got a lot of old dudes. Old's on top. Old's on top. Actually, old's on top of the pre-show. Yes. <laughs> Uh, for the main card, we have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles as Catch-22 defend against Leo Rush and Yo. The IWGP Women's title, Kyrie defends against Tam Nakano. The IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team titles, FTR defend against Bishamon. The NJPW World TV title finals, uh, tournament finals as Ren Narita and Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, face off to determine the first ever world television champion. The never open weight titles on the line as Carl Anderson def- defends against Tamatanga. In his final ever NJPW match, Kiji Muto, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Shota Umino will face off against Tetsu Naito, Sonata, and Bushi of LIJ. Seeing what they do there, Kiji Muto, next generation Tanahashi. A few generations later, Shota Umino. Looks like they're doing something a little cute there. Um, and then after that, we have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match. It's a fatal four-way or four-way dance or whatever terminology you're used to using. Taiji Ishimori defends against Hiromu Takahashi, El Desperado, and Master Wato in a four-way match. Semi-main event, the IWGP United States titles on the line as Will Ospreay defends against the cleaner Kenny Omega. <laughs> And, then and, and one correction, ev- it's not the semi-main event. It's double main event du- one. Double double main event. Yeah. Just like WrestleMania 8. Yeah, double main event one. Double main event one. Just like when Ric Flair and <laughs> uh, Randy Savage was main event one, right? Yes. Yes, and then uh, that makes sense because as Hogan and Sid is to WrestleMania 8, Jay White and Okada is to to Wrestle Kingdom 17. <laughs> we have the IWGP World Heavyweight title on the line as the champion Jay White defends against the G1 champion and challenger Kazushka Okada. So next week, Chris Samsa will be joining us, and that's when we will do our... I've changed my mind. I don't want him on this show. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll let you take that up with him, but uh, we will be doing our official. He would be like, "Fuck you, I'm coming on." <laughs> <laughs> uh, like we've done the last few years, Chris will come on. We'll do our official preview and predictions for Wrestle Kingdom. Go through each match, give our thoughts, um, our predictions for each matchups. We're doing that next week, but Josh, just real quick, your overall thoughts from hearing this announced card. I think that for those people who were out there, and I didn't see a lot of it, but I heard a lot about it, that were angry about this card or disappointed about this card or upset about this card, I would say, aside from one match on the main show, which is the Never Title match, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And if you are upset, let's use an old WWE FDS adage. Let's see how it plays out. <laughs> yeah. I, I can almost guarantee you with this list of talent and this many title matches and, you know, the other surprises, Sasha Banks or whatever the fuck you want to call her and everything else that might be in between. This is going to be a legendary card. And this, the, this is the, the best lineup of Wrestle Kingdom 
uh, matches and talent that we've had since pre-pandemic, since just before the pandemic hit. So I am extremely excited and I cannot wait for this show. It's going to be blow away, even if you're not high. And I'm not making excuses for the main event. I think they've had an abysmal build, an abysmal build, one of the worst builds we've seen in our lifetimes for Wrestle Kingdom. It's still Okada and Jay White. They're still going to go out there and put in a not near five-star performance. Right. It's one of those cases where the build sucks, but the bell rings, and it's going to be great. Like, Jay White and Okada have never had a not great match. Um, so those uh, guys... I don't know about that, but yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, I mean a big-time, like, title main event. Big-time title main event, and they don't... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these guys are going to deliver. They have great chemistry. There's a great story to be told in the ring. Um, I just wish they told some of that in the build, um, but, but that's going to be um, a great matchup as well. So, yeah, overall, I, I think the card looks great. I'm very excited um, for this show, and like you're Bro, saying... There's, even, the, even the pre-show looks good. Yes, I mean, you, you got a three-minute exhibition with the new you know, Young Lion, Bolton Oleg. You Bro, got, Bolton Oleg's going to fuck people up. Bro, <laughs> I can't wait for the, the like, in a, like, in a year from now, we're going to be like, are you Bolton Oleg, or are you, like, Luke Oy, or what's the dude's uh, name? Oscar Lube. Are you a Lube fan or are you a uh, Oleg fan? <laughs> uh, it's like two giant monster white men. <laughs> uh, the, the Rambo, that's always going to be, you know, fun. You don't know who's going to be in that. That'll be, you'll get some mystery, you know, surprise entrance. That'll be fun. Kabuki. <laughs> uh, and, and then this, uh, the Inoki Memorial Six Man. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. And then you get to the main card. And the main card looks great. The only the, the one sore there, like you mentioned, the never title match with Carl Anderson and Tamatonga, which honestly, with this card, it's probably it's not gonna be great. We're gonna be getting rid of the the Fed, the WWE trash, right? And it's probably not gonna be that long anyway. With this no. car, with this card, you, you know Jay and Okada are, are going to need to get some time. You, you know Osprey and Kenny are going to need to get some time. Um, so a lot of these matches are, are not going to be super long. And I, I see some com- people complaining about. The length potentially, like, oh no, too much great wrestling. I don't give me five hours of classic banger after banger after banger. Fuck that. Yeah, I mean, Wrestle Kingdoms. We've talked about this all time. Wrestle Kingdoms are paced so well. It doesn't. Yeah. They don't feel like you've sat there and wasted five or six hours. Like they breeze by. I mean, there have been several times where we've watched Wrestle Kingdom together, me, you, and Rich, and we'd be like, "Man, that was a breeze." Like, is it over already? Like. It, it was such a great show, and that's because they have that great pace. And based off of the card order right here, they have that pacing. You're going to start Bro. that that junior tag team title match, and then you get Bro. to the main event. I just decided. I know we talked about it. I was on the fence. Fuck it. I'm taking that day off. Come over. We're going to have <laughs> breakfast. We're watching this shit. It's happening. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, I'm off that whole week. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so we got a lot of questions here. We'll kind of. A lot of this stuff, I think, is going to border on what we're going to discuss next week. So I don't know how much we're going to get into, but let's. Uh, people are excited. So Death Triangle Seven Twenty said, "Do you think Gato should have done something to add more intrigue to Okada and Jay's match? I think they could have had like Jay talking crap about Okada's wife and newborn, <laughs> <laughs> and newborn, and Okada goes and attacks him or something." And he also said, should FTR lose the tag titles right now? And I don't want to get into predictions just yet. I want to save that till next week. Mm-hmm. But um, I agree with him. They should have done more for the the, the main title build. And it, it needs it. 
yes. desperately, and it's not going to happen. Yes, Gale should have done more. Did he have the option to do more? Probably not. We've seen how little Jay White's been in Japan, um, even since you know restrictions have been open for foreigners to get back into the country. He's not even on the road to Tokyo Dome tour. Um, so he can't even do anything there. So he's been kind of very absent throughout um, the build of this and just New Japan in Japan this year. Um, so maybe there was stuff he wanted to do, but Jay's like, I'm not coming. So Raising Falcon said, do you think there's a possibility of Will Ospreay costing Kenny Omega the best of seven series before Wrestle Kingdom to add more fuel to the fire before the Wrestle Kingdom, before their match at Wrestle Kingdom? And I'll tell you flat out, absolutely, with 100% conviction, no. Yeah, I don't think that, I mean, they, they could do that, but I don't think that's going to happen. But, I mean, you could have maybe even after the best of seven, Osprey and Aussie Open showing up. You know, the last time they were on Dynamite, they beat down the Elite after that uh, Trios tile tournament matchup. So um, they, they could do something like that, like a little angle, but I don't think they're necessarily going to be uh, part of, you know, why the Elite would lose. AEW has not shown any sort of... Um inclination to promote new japan events and storylines that they weren't profiting off personally on their side of the the pond so i don't see that happening especially considering kenny's playing a heel in japan and a super white meat baby face in america so no yeah Okay, okay, 890 said, thoughts on keeping Shingo off the main show? I understand it's already pretty crowded, but Shingo is on the level of the best wrestlers in that card. Hey, I said it before we before the uh, tag leagues began. I said, hey, if, a, if, a, if someone of an ilk of a Shingo or a Suzuki or an Ishii or what have you can't make it onto the main show, so be it. And unfortunately... Do I think Shingo should be in the world title picture scene? Absolutely. Do I think that his days in the main event are over? No, I don't. Do I think he's been relegated to lower mid-card status like evil? No, I don't. Am I a little disappointed? Yeah, but it is what it is. Yeah, it, it does seem kind of a little bit of a messed up considering this guy was in main event of night one of the Tokyo Dome. Uh, it was uh, almost like they they got four, their hand they got booked into a corner in that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, now he's probably going to just be um, in the the Rambo, which I guess is it, fine here. But like you said, I do prefer the method of hey, everybody can't get on the main card. Like, right. sorry, try again next year. And I love Shingo. He's probably my favorite in New Japan next to Will Ospreay. I would love to see him in a main, you know, match on the main card. But, you know, better luck next year. With Oleg being 29 and having his debut at Wrestle Kingdom, do you think Oleg is going to get irregular treatment compared to the standard young lion? Let's see him have a match. If he's good, then yeah. If he's like a physic, if he's like a Kitamura, like someone who is super physically imposing and also has tons of charisma and upside possibly but we got to see him wrestle if he if he's not good then no i don't know yeah i mean just based off his size like you're saying i could see a kitamura like push and maybe where he uses more power moves and doesn't have to stick to the basic young lion maneuvers um so yeah we're, we're gonna learn a lot in those three minutes come uh tokyo dome Mr. Dominant 3 says the rest of the best of seven series over in AEW seems to have a lot of dangerous matches in it. Now, supposedly, if it makes it to the end of the series, the last match is a ladder match. 
I'm praying for Kenny to keep healthy and nothing bad happens, but things can happen between now and January 4th. So what are your feelings about it? By the way, give the young boy my congratulations on passing the test, Bash. Bash, I got to tell you, we know that you're Bash and you'd be commenting on our stuff on social media as Bash. We know you're fucking Bash. (laughs) (laughs) But I do appreciate um, the congratulations and we always appreciate your interactions with us. And I am 100% in agreement with Bash in the sense that – I don't, I'm, I, 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 ever since they even announced the best of seven series, I was very nervous about it altogether. But my understanding is that the January 4th match is in the middle of the series, not at the end of the series. Is that correct? Well, this coming up Wednesday, they're, they're doing the no DQ match. Right. Um, and then I think the. I think they're off until January 4th, and then they have the final two matches after that. Right. Yeah. The false count anywhere in the latter match. Um, so, yeah. So, again, yeah, there's no DQ tomorrow night. There is potential for injury there, but there's potential for injury in a regular matchup. We see guys get hurt off of baseball slides or doing very simple maneuvers. So, um, yes, obviously with no DQ using weapons and gimmicks does kind of elevate the risk, but I mean, Kenny could get hurt. He could have gotten hurt in one of the regular, um, trios matches. This isn't a good thing, but it's the one thing if, if you're sadistic like me and you're just a fiend for, for the star ratings, <laughs> the one thing I will say is that this man, Kenny Omega fought with a fucking hurt neck, fucking hurt back, vertigo, fucking hurt vertigo, every single thing under the sun for, like years a, for like half a decade and we couldn't tell <laughs> <laughs> so if if something w- went really bad it would have to be really bad for him to not be able to come to japan and put in what is very likely going to be the performance of a lifetime against you know a guy that's equally as talented in ring as him and the last time the last time i felt like Kenny Omega was going into a Tokyo Dome match against someone equally as talented as him. It was Wrestle Kingdom, what was that, 11? With what? him and Okada? Yeah. Yeah, and and I predicted at the time it would be one of, if not the greatest match that we'd ever seen up to that point, and it lived up to that expectation. I think we can all put our expectations right up to that level, and even if this guy is hurt, he's going to fucking <laughs> do whatever it takes to go out there and have one of the greatest matches that there's ever been. And so is Will Ospreay. So I am a little concerned. I was more concerned at the outset of the best of seven series, but they've already gotten through four of them and we're going into five. I, I feel confident we're going to be okay, but bro, I swear to God, if something robs us of Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay, I'm going to, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm gonna burn down the, the condo. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, injuries can happen anytime. Like you said, Kenny is is a freak of nature, and uh, like literally, it would have to be something where like something is completely like his ACL, something completely ripped or blown, where he couldn't fly and get over and do the match. Um, so I, I have confidence that you know, obviously. Him, the Bucks, and the Lucha Bros, and Pac, all super professionals. They they know how to take care of each other in there, and I feel like they'll they'll be fine. They'll he'll he'll make it to uh, the Tokyo Dome. 
Next question. Skywalker3030 said, what would you like to see out of New Year's Dash since it's in a big arena this year? I hope they throw some killer matches from the guys who weren't featured big on Wrestle Kingdom in along with the usual angle-heavy multi-mans to capitalize off the buzz from Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, so I think like he's saying here, we need a lot of angles. Uh, I'm sure they will try to highlight some guys that didn't get on the Tokyo Dome card, but I think the the key importance here is going to be angles and setting the playing field for 2023. Who are the guys that are getting pushed? What stables are getting pushed? Are there going to be new stables, new tag teams? Um, so I think that's kind of be, going to be the, the big thing to capitalize off of. The momentum of Wrestle Kingdom is, you know, setting up hot, new, exciting feuds, rivalries, and angles that are going to play out throughout the year. 2023 will be the year of ELP. Yeah. Put it down now. What would you like to see NJP do during Wrestle Kingdom angle-wise, potentially, in New Year's Dash and the 121 show with the big names that aren't booked to do anything other than the Rambo, namely Shingo? So kind of the same territory what he asked there, but I think that guys like Shingo and ELP will be utilized to a stronger degree coming out of those shows for sure. Yeah, and I could see Shingo and ELP being two of the four guys that make it into the four-way for KOPW for New Year's Dash. Um, tai Chi. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Tai Chi's in it too. Yeah, great Ocon. Like, there's several guys that could be in, in that four-way. Uh, that's champion of the British Great Ocon. That's right. Yeah, the yeah the undisputed British champion Great Ocon. All How hell. do you think uh, NJPW should capitalize on the hype they will get back with cheering in this Wrestle Kingdom 17 card? I think the most important thing is having angles that feel like a big deal that make it feel like pre-COVID NJPW again or something new, and making this new young lion graduating crop seem like a big deal. And I think. Again, he's kind of touching on the same thing that he asked in the previous two questions. They, basically, they need to capitalize on the success and the heat that's been generated from the interest from Wrestle Kingdom with big, exciting angles to lead into mid-January and early February for sure. Yeah, and then also, also featuring a lot of new stars. Also, Ren Narita and Chiro Umino are getting big spots on the dome. They need to follow up uh, the next night. Uh, keep continue follow up with Kevin Knight, Coglin, Kid, Connors, all those guys. Um, you know the, these new young lions, um, Oleg and Oscar Lube, and then Oiwa and Vegeta and, and Nakashima. So yeah, there's plenty of chance to, to highlight these guys. Any of the other foreigners that are going to be established in that year, also bring them in as well. So yeah, like we've been saying, capitalize on the angle, set up new feuds and rivalries. Add Dragon Master Adam said, going into the new year, what do you think New Japan needs to do differently to keep the new slash returning fans after Wrestle Kingdom? Any angles or creative changes you think would make it more appealing while keeping the spirit of New Japan? And I gotta tell you, I, I, I'm that's a little bit more into the territory of speculation than I like to get into, and it's a little too early, but um. I think it falls right in line with what we discussed earlier that like the thing that's been missing from new Japan post wrestle kingdom the last few years is exciting changes, breakups, shakeups angles. And I think we're the table is set for that to happen again. Yeah. I mean, you threw it out earlier, you know, something like 
Bullet Club breaking up or Chaos breaking up more. Oh, come on, baby. Come on. <laughs> come on. I got my fingers crossed. Yeah. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, with Jay not showing up to Japan, like, I don't know what his contract status is, but I've been kind of getting the feeling that he might be getting phased out next year. So I could see if they keep Bullet Club, ELP, like, ousting him and, and taking over or some kind of faction breaking out from them. Um, but, yeah, something like that to uh, to mix things up along with, you know, Suzuki Goon ending would be good great so this coming week we've got the road to tokyo dome uh night one is december 22nd night two december 23rd we're gonna run through the show real quick so uh the first night we have uh kosei fujita taking on francesco akira in singles action yuto nakashima versus aaron hanare ryohei oiwa versus great okan and jeff cobb versus oscar luebe so we've got four lions versus four United Empire uh, members in singles action. Yeah, an interesting that, note there, too. The last time I did this last year, this led to people going on excursion. Obviously, a lot of these guys are kind of fresh in the Young Lion program, but still, with them wanting to accelerate things, it's interesting that they're all for getting singles matches here. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> After that, we got Shota Umino, Satoshi Kojima, and Toge Makabe taking on Sonata, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, obviously, Umino is opposite of Naito in the Muto's last match six-man tag, so it's a preview for that. Ren Narita, Tomo Akihanma will be taking on Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi, potentially the last ever tag team match for the Dangerous Techers. And also a preview match between Ren Narita and Zack Sabre Jr. for the World Television Tournament title finals at Wrestle Kingdom. Semi-main event, we have six or nine taking on the LIJ team of Hiromu and Bushi versus the Suzuki-Gun team of Desperado and Kanemaru and the Bullet Club team of Ishimori and Gato again. Potentially the final time we ever see Desperado and Kanemaru team together. But it's a Fatal 4-Way Tag Team Junior match as a preview for the Fatal 4-Way IWGP Heavyweight Tag... Or, uh, junior heavyweight singles ta- match. Uh, yeah. Junior title at Wrestle Kingdom. And so it's kind of a preview match for that. And then your main event on night one, Tanahashi, Okada, and Yo. We'll take on the team of Suzuki, Lance, Archer, and Doki. So, uh, again, because there is no Jay White in town, this is basically a, you know, major guise of uh, Hantai slash Chaos taking on uh, the guys from uh, Suzuki Goon in one of their final matches. I mean, Lance Archer here is showing up more than Jay White. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And I think officially he's had more matches this year in New Japan than he's had in AEW. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Night two. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to run through uh, night two. Oh, go ahead. Uh, So, yeah, night two, December 23rd. Show open up will have Yuto Nakashima and Oscar Lube versus Yujiro Takahashi and Sho. Roy Oiwa and Kosei Vegeta versus Tomohiro Ishii and Toru Yano. Togi Makabe, Tomiko Hanuma, Tiger Mask, and Ren Narita versus Jeff Cobb, Great Okan, Aaron Hanare, and Francesco Akira. Hiroshi Tenzon and Satoshi Kojima versus Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto versus Hiromu Takahashi and Shingo Takagi versus Evil and Dick Togo. 
Then Hiroshi Tanahashi, Rishika Taguchi, and Shota Umino versus Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, and Bushi. Kazuchika Okada, Yo, and Master Wato versus El Phantasmo, Taiji Shimori, and Gato. And then the big main event, the final time that Suzuki Goon will team up Minoru Suzuki, Lance Archer, El Desperado, and Taka Michinoku will take on Zack Sabre Jr., Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Doki. So Suzuki Goon versus Suzuki Goon, the last time that all eight of these guys will be together as a team, representing Suzuki Goon in this kind of big final farewell matchup here. And, you know, with tradition, the, the last for the Tokyo Dome show after the main event, usually the snow falling, so we're probably in store for a big emotional send-off here with, with the snow falling in Cork and Hall. Yeah, this is a kind of a strange show top to bottom. I mean, we've got that fatal four-way between Tenzan and uh, Tenkoji, Bishamon, Hiromu and Shingo, and, and House of Tortures, Evil, and Dick Togo. That's kind of just randomly thrown together. A lot of the undercard stuff isn't anything that's really previewing the Tokyo Dome. Um, one of the only ma- the, the the top three matches though all do have a very heavy focus. You got Tanahashi and Naito and Sonata on opposite and I'm sorry Tanahashi and Umino on opposite sides of Naito and Sonata. So that's obviously building again to Muto's final six man tag team match in New Japan. And then your main event, even though there is no Jay White, you've got Okada on the opposite end of Bullet Club members, kind of playing proxy for Jay White, but. That final eight-man tag, all Suzuki Goon match, that's one where we've already kind of gone through a few different scenarios, but there's always just this is them riding off into the sunset, and it's the I'm sorry, I love you, and everyone cries. And that is also on the table, that this is just the final send-off period for this group. So uh, one correction here. So that's actually not a fatal four way. When I, I copied and pasted, it's got two matches got combined together here. So it's actually, uh, I was like, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is that? I know what I was what I was reading. Why? I was like, this does not seem right. But yeah, there's... I was like, why do we have that on here? But you know, it's New Japan. Anything can happen. Like they do wacky stuff for the Road to Tokyo Dome. Yeah. So it's actually two separate tag team matches. So it's gonna so be... it's Tenkoji versus Bishamon and Hiromu and Shingo versus Evil and Dick Togo. Yes. <laughs> that makes so much more sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And you know, Tenkoji kind of they're sort of like long in the tooth and like they weren't even in tag league this year and them job. Well, that's because you know Kojima had to defend his uh GHC. Bro, isn't that funny that he's like the world champion he's like the world tag team champions over in Noah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Tenkoji are done and them being like the longtime domestic successful tag team in New Japan, passing off the mantle to Bishamon, kind of symbolic. Yeah. So yeah, so overall, uh, really good um, two nights here of Road to Tokyo Dome final build to Wrestle Kingdom. And speaking of Wrestle Kingdom, uh, we do have a update on Sasha Banks, uh, Mercedes Monet, whatever name she's going to be using. Uh, Going forward, so new details available about her deal with NJPW. So we talked about the initial news last week with Karen. Since then, Dave Meltzer um, addressed Banks' status in the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer newsletter. 
and Uncle Dave noted that while Banks' agreement is with NJPW, it also includes one stardom date, likely a major show the promotion has planned for the spring. Also, there was stuff going around on Twitter this week that Mercedes is in Japan and looking to do like some collaboration stuff with companies in Japan. So clearly, she's going to be in Japan. All signs are pointing with her, you know, showing up at Wrestle Kingdom 17, being involved some way in the IWGP Women's Title picture. Josh, you weren't here last week. What are your thoughts on Mercedes Sasha coming in to NJPW? Kyrie beats Tam in a great, probably short match, but a great match nonetheless. And after that's over, we hear this. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. Okay. <laughs> Have uh, um, Milano. It's a boss time. It's a boss time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh god! It's gonna be so funny, yo! I just want to say this for everybody that hates this: you're gonna have to fucking hate because I love it. I am so happy that this is happening. It, it's so funny, bro. Does like, she bring Snoop Dogg with her? Yeah, bro. It's Snoop Dogg's cousin. Like. Snoop Doggy's cousin. <laughs> it was so great. Oh my no, god! Um, you know, I think that um, a lot obviously has led to this. Uh, you know, over the years, there's just been so much between WWE and management and Sasha and yada yada yada, whatever. Um. I won't rehash everything that you and Karen went over last week when I was off the show, but I was jealous listening to the show. I was like, damn, I want to discuss this so badly, <laughs> so badly. <laughs> but um, it, it, I did hear a part of the discourse where there were there was discussion about Sasha and her involvement overshadowing the match between Tam and Kyrie, And I did notice... How even though, yes, a week ago when the news was breaking out that Sasha was going to be here and the reporting and everything, if you notice, New Japan hasn't tweeted anything about it, reported anything about it, promoted it. Maybe that's due to legal reasons. They might not be able to. But also, I think that it's we all deserve to give a little tip of the hat to management and the fact that they haven't really done anything but promote the IWGB women's match that is on the table as it stands right now, which is between Tam Nakano and Kyrie. I do understand that there is some discourse within Joshi communities where it's like, okay, uh, unfortunately this match that should be really great and probably will be is being kind of totally overshadowed by the incoming of Sasha Banks slash Mercedes Renato. Or what's her other... Uh, Mercedes Monet. Mercedes Monet, whatever it may be. And the only thing I got to tell you about that is like... Money talks. Star power is a thing. And unfortunately for those who are really, really drawn into that aspect of it, 
as good as that match could possibly be, we've seen people who are very talented be put in the same kind of slot on a five-hour or actually the main show will probably be four hours realistically. Uh, I think of very specifically, I think of Zack Sabre Jr. versus Tomohiro Ishii for the for the uh, Rev Pro title like two or three years ago. Mm. Those guys had had some classics leading into the Tokyo Dome and then they got like 12 minutes. That's probably what you're going to see Kyrie and Tam get is sub 15 minutes considering how long the show is and how many matches are on it. And it's just not going to have the same kind of opportunity to have the same sort of emphasis and delivery that the uh, historic crossover match between Mayu and Kyrie was able to have. They will go out there. They will wow us. They will have a hard hitting, incredible match, but when it's over and it's said and done, we do need something to carry over and really matter when it comes to this title. And the fact that new Japan has landed probably by all accounts, the most talented and most accomplished women's wrestler in North American history, bar none. And the biggest marketable name and free agent that exists on the women's side in Sasha Banks Sometimes the things that are on the schedule just have to take a, a, a back seat to things that are bigger. This reminds me hypothetically of when Chris Jericho came into the company mm. and took attention away from Kenny Omega. And um, I believe at the time he was fading, facing Trent Barrera. It was either Trent Barretta or it was Juice Robinson. I think it was Trent. I can't recall. And as cool as that match was and as great it was built up to be and as good as the match was, we ended up with one of something that was that shifted the wrestling industry in Jericho and Kenny Omega. That's what we're getting with Kyrie and Sasha when it when, when when whether she shows up in person, whether it's a video package, I'm not quite sure what it's going to be. But at the end of the day, it's going to be for the betterment of New Japan and stardom, hypothetically. Now, could this all come crashing down? Totally. But the idea and my, my feeling on this, what the reason why Bushi Road is willing to shell out crazy money for Sasha Banks is that they're hoping that it has a similar effect for both New Japan and stardom as bringing in Chris Jericho had for the company all the way back in, what was that, 2018? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that they know that it's going to be a money loser. In a certain sense, they know that they're overpaying. Well, I don't want to say overpaying because, but like the reality is, is as popular as Sasha is, she's not going to draw domestically and equate to immediate monetary success for New Japan the way uh, that, like, I don't know, bringing in like a some other more established name might be. Yeah. But the idea is if you were to hypothetically present to me, okay, we want to make people aware of stardom. And the only way we can do that is by bringing in a North American woman to come in and, and work conjointly with New Japan and stardom. 
to galvanize a fan base to come in and watch major shows for New Japan and also become aware of stardom and, and maybe pay attention to what they're doing and even watch their shows. The most rabid fan base that that exists for a woman is Sasha's fan base. The, the woman who pulls in the most numbers by any metric, whether it's on social media or merchandise or pay-per-views or television ratings, it's Sasha Banks, bar none. It doesn't matter what your personal proclivity is. Whether you mean it's, you, not, it's not Charlotte? It's not Charlotte. It's not Bianca Belair. It's not Becky Lynch. Although, obviously, there was a time where Becky was bigger than her. Just over the course of the last six or seven years, it's been Sasha Banks. Yeah. There is no perfect scenario that is that that you could – or it's not even Britt Baker. There's no perfect scenario that you could paint to me that would be more hypothetically – I'm not saying it's, gonna, it's going to work, but if you were going to make this play, Sasha's who you do it with. This is the time to do it. You have an opportunity to get her. I don't think even long-term it means she's even going to stick around. It sounds like she's working a couple dates for both companies. But the best case scenario is you get fans who know that stardom exists but have never seen it, who obviously know about New Japan but maybe don't watch it, and they tune in because they want to see Sasha over in Japan, and then they turn into a a stardom show or a Wrestle Kingdom, and they're like, holy fuck, this is the greatest wrestling I've ever (laughs) seen in my life. And they tune in for Sasha, but they stick around for Shuri and Tekla and Julia and Tam and blah, 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 and Mayu, and you name it. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, my God, my whole life I thought that I was watching women's wrestling. And this is the actual women's wrestling. (laughs) And also this is that real. Yeah, this is that fucking real. And I never knew about it. And this happened for a whole large audience years ago with Chris Jericho. I mean, look how look how influential that was. I think that we're looking at the same thing here and I think that there are pearl clutchers on the on the pearl and the Joshi side of things that they're like, well, you know, they're bringing her in, let's see and it's like you guys don't see the vision. This company is making a major fucking play and it's good for her, it's good for them, it's good for stardom. This is a plus 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 for everybody. We, the fans, we're the winners. We get to see this shit. I can't wait to see Kyrie versus Sasha Banks. Yeah, and also, it's going it, to rule. It's going to be a big shot in the arm for the Western expansion. You know, things yep, here in America have not been as hot as they were before the elite left. So the potential of Mercedes working New Japan of America shows is going to be um, a big deal. That's going to help. Um, strong attendance It's going to help these these U.S. pay-per-views uh, Draw and get more popular You're going to have more Western fans who want to invest In New Japan And it'll be a perfect time to capitalize And do more stuff here in America That actually gets over and has some buzz And because New Japan has a working relationship With AEW Hypothetically I'm not saying it's going to happen But like There's a possibility that you could have Sasha work at a new Japan of America show against a major AW woman. Like let's just throw an example out there. Hikaru Shida or even what, uh, Tony storm. What about Riho? Oh yeah. Riho. You know what I mean? 
And that's something where I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, if I find out that they're running a show in Chicago and they got Sasha versus Riho, I might want to go to that <laughs> show. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of possibilities there. It's really incredible. And I think it's, uh, it is funny how it's funny to see the, the different audiences because there's such a, uh, all these different groups that have different ways of looking at wrestling and how they're perceiving things like two or three weeks ago, it was like, well, Sasha might go over there. Maybe that means she's going to WWE new Japan have a (laughs) relationship. And, uh, me and Rich been talking about it. And I was like, they don't realize like she's gone. And, uh, Shout out to Raj Geary. You know, I don't agree with everything that this guy says, but he said back in the summer that she was gone and he was right. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out to Raj over at Wrestling Inc. Shout out to that guy. But um, yeah, man, I mean, and it's also funny, too. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, you know, I've I've voiced my opinion about my conspiracy theories about New Japan and their women's division. And it is interesting that Sasha's not signing to work these dates with stardom she's signing to work with new japan and if she does go work for stardom it's new japan that's footing the bill it's bushiro that's fit footing the bill not rossi who also probably should get some sort of con uh commendation from like one nation radio maybe uh finesse of the year because he's getting you know bushiro to foot the bill for him to bring in sasha Banks, which is pretty <laughs> incredible <laughs> So, yeah, so overall, yeah, it's going to be an exciting time to see what exactly she's going to end up doing, how she's going to be brought out. I cannot wait for the Sasha stands that don't know about Bushi Road's uh, totalitarian ways when it comes to uh, oh, not Bushi Road, but like uh, uh, TV Asai for the gifts. Yeah, TV oh Asai. They're going to they're, they're <laughs> post gifts. And they're going to get their fucking Zap. shit shut down. It's going to be... <laughs> Dude, TBSI is going to wipe out like half the Sasha stand. It's going to be like Thanos. <laughs> it's like a snap. <laughs> I see, I've seen... Um, I've seen literal like Sasha stand groups putting out disclaimers like, all right, guys, this is this is the info. This is, <laughs> this is the info of how you can watch New Japan. This is the info of how you can watch Stardom. Here's where you can expect to see her. Here's how it works. Like giving them like an introduction to to Joshi and Perezu, and then also the disclaimer like, do not post gifts <laughs> with TV Asai. You will lose your shit. They will find you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't play with that copyright. They're like Liam Neeson in Taken. It's like I have a certain special set of skills that make it horrible <laughs> for people like you. I will find. You. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Keep keep the gifts in the group chats. Oh man, I can't wait. And I, I, I love this. I'm living for it. I love to see the outrage from all these different I mean, I've seen FDSers mad. I've seen Perezu fans like the 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 gatekeepers mad. I've seen the the hardcore Joshi stands mad. It's just so great. Just all <laughs> yeah. these different people so outraged. When at the end of the day, we're gonna get an inc- I, I think in Yokohama we're getting Sasha versus Kyrie. fucking Kyrie. It's gonna be great. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up on the uh Sasha slash Mercedes conversation. Let's uh jump into New Japan Strong real quick. Also, Sasha, if you want to come on the show, you know, you're always welcome. <laughs> We're not gonna pay you, but uh we'll give you some exposure, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
Yeah, we'll get you uh, acclimated with the New Japan fan base. Uh, but uh, this past Saturday, we had night three of the New Japan Strong Nation Tour. We I had. Did not, uh, I did not watch this. Well, let's run through it real quick. Uh, Bateman defeated Jacob Austin Young. Uh, Jacob Austin Young, uh, kind of a fresh indie guy. Jacob Austin Young. That's a, like who is that? He's been on Strong for a couple times now. Um, he's a young younger guy. He's been making a few strong appearances. A good opening match here with Bateman. Bateman gets the win. The second match we had Kenta showing up and defeating Bad Dude Tito. Seven minutes and 53 seconds. A good match up here. Kenta ends up using a ref distraction and a low blow to roll up Bad Dude Tito, which again I think plays well for Bad Dude Tito that a top guy had to cheat to beat him. Couldn't just beat him clean. Um, so interesting Kenta showing back up on New Japan Strong Commentary did make a you know a big deal about that Especially since you know him winning That um, New Japan Cup Of America was kind of a big deal That kind of kicked off a lot of things for Strong A couple of years ago And then the main event We had the first Strong Tag Team title defense From the Motor City Machine Guns Alex Shelley and Chris Saban, they defeated the Stray Dog Army team of Barrett Brown and Mysterioso. A uh, fun main event. Also, the Machine Guns are, um, you know, a really great tag team and worked really well with uh, Barrett Brown and Mysterioso. Got their uh, first successful defense, and I'm looking forward to their their next defense on the Nemesis Tour. They're facing off our good friend Rocky Romero and Trent Beretta, Rapungi Vice. So, Mortar City Machine Guns making uh, a big deal here in a new Japan Strong. And then next Saturday, Christmas Eve, December 24th, will be the final New Japan Strong of 2022. The show open up will have Lince Dorado making his strong debut, teaming up with Mascara Dorado to take on the team of Cody Chun and Guillermo Rojas. Bobby the second Fitt. best Cody that's ever showed up in New Japan. <laughs> Uh, then Bobby Fish will be making his strong debut by taking on. Oh, yeah. Bobby Fish is in New Japan ever since I was off. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's right. It lines up with uh, Team Filthy. He's taking on Kevin Blackwood this week. And then the main event for the Strong Openweight Championship, the champion Fred Rosser, Mr. No Days Off, will defend against J.R. Kratos, who was handpicked. By Switchblade Jay White as a favor to Filthy Tom Waller. The last strong title match of the year on this uh, final week of Detonation. I got Kratos. I'm putting all my money (laughs) on Kratos. (laughs) Let's jump into the news. So this past week, uh, actually just yesterday, JTO, 50th anniversary for Takataichi together. The last Takataichi event. Uh, that occurred. It is available on New Japan World as a pay-per-view. Some of the, the major news that was coming out of it. We had uh, Suzuki Goon team of Doki and Minoru Suzuki. They defeated the Unchained team of Jun, ok- Jun Kasai and Tomaki Hanma <laughs> by referee's decision in 16 minutes and 44 seconds. I'm hearing that this is a match of the year contender level match. Definitely something we want to check out yeah. for excursion match of the year. Uh, the Suzuki Goon team of El Desperado and Lance Archer defeated Damnation TA. That's Daisuke Sasaki and MJ Paul by DQ, 15 minutes and 39 seconds. Best two out of three falls match. Hiromu Takahashi defeated Taka Michinoku, two falls to nothing, 11 minutes and 48 <laughs> seconds. And then the main event, the NJPW King of Pro Wrestling title, last man standing lumberjack match. 
Shingo Takagi, the reigning champion, defeated Taichi by KO, 29 minutes, 39 seconds, crowning Shingo Takagi as the 2022 official king of pro wrestling. Not provisional, not lineal, literal. He is the (laughs) champion. And now, after this match was over, he was champion, and now he is no longer champion. Now it is vacant. It's the the bittersweet truth that KOPW, you only become champion for a moment, a fleeting moment, and then it's over. Um, so in other news, Rep Pro Uprising 2022, Great O'Conn is now the new British heavyweight champion as a result of Ricky Knight Jr. not being able to compete. His uh, It's his brother, but I think it's his uncle, Zach Zodiac. Is that correct? Uh, I'm not sure. I know they're related somehow. They're all they're all knights. <laughs> okay. Zach Zodiac defended the title on his behalf against NJPW's Great Ocon and lost. So Will Os- and uh, so now Great Ocon is the champion, even though he didn't beat the champion RKJ. So yep. also Will Osprey defeated Tomohiro Ishii on the same show in a match that was supposed to be one thing and then another thing, and then Will Osprey had to step in at the last minute. We ended up with Osprey and Ishii on a rep pro show, so that's pretty cool. Heard good things about that, too. NJPW has announced a four-day Oceana Cup event for WAGA. See, I listened to another show, and they said, even though it says WAGA, WAGA, you're not supposed to say that. You're just supposed to say it once. WAGA. Uh, Government. The event was made possible by a grant from the New South Wales government, according to the release. So there's going to be a special, you know, um, cup that's going to be taking place in Australia in 2023 for South Wales. Um, also, there is an Antonio Anoki Bombay show on December 28th as part of his final last will and testament. <laughs> he put away some money and decided that he wanted there to be a final Anoki Bombay show in his memory and uh, announced for that December 28th show, Tom Lawler, will be facing off against Katsuyori Shibata. <laughs> <laughs> what a wild matchup. Yeah, so we're getting Shibata and Lawler December 28th on the Antokyo Anoki Memorial Show, which is incredible. Also this past week, uh, the Motor City Machine Guns became double dual champions as they defeated the team of Rhino, and I don't know what name he's going by now, but uh, Heath Slater? I think he's just Heath. Okay, Heath. For the Impact World Tag Team titles, they hold both the Impact World Tag Team titles and the Never Openweight Strong Tag Team titles. So congratulations to Motor City Machine Guns. Big fans of those guys. Um, this past week, Tokyo Sports revealed their 2022 award winners. Some of the results, the MVP this year, once again, Kazushiko Okada, the best bout or match of the year, New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Finals, August 18th from the Nippon Budokan. Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay, best tag team of the year, Great Ocon and Jeff Cobb, which I will tell you, I voted them number one for keeping a strong styles tag team of the year, but it looks like they're uh, potentially getting robbed by someone in their own state. I, I feel like tag team of the year is the one category that always just doesn't go right. <laughs> it just never goes right. <laughs> Outstanding Performance Award, Kento Miyahar from All Japan, Fighting Spirit Award, Great Okan from New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm going to assume that's because he saved that little girl. Yeah. Um, Technique Award, L. Lindemann from Glate. Women's Wrestling Grand Prize, Shuri from Stardom. Newcomer Award, Yuma Anzai from All Japan Pro Wrestling. That is the young lot or the 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 I don't know what you want to call him. I don't. I don't think they call him Young Lions over there, but he's the Green Boy 
that we had talked about months and months and months ago that I saw first reported by our friends over at Super Jcast that um, Yuji Nagata was trying to get him to come into the LA or into the No Game okay. Dojo, yeah. and he ended up opting to work for All Japan instead. But he is the newcomer of the year for Japan and the Professional Wrestling Grand Prize Honor Award, the late Antonio Inoki. And that's going to take us to the questions. Yeah, we are uh, running up on time here. You want to bump these the next week, or you want to run through them real quick? Let's just fucking run through them. I've been gone. <laughs> we'll we'll go quick. All Short right. answers. So, um, at Oscar Rooney says, we are in a transition period in New Japan. Lots of changes. What other changes do you want to see in the coming year? I want to go back to the regular calendar. I want to shake up a couple more of these uh, groups, namely Bullet Club and Chaos. And I want to see the elevation of a lot of young talent in major ways, not minor ways, not slow ascensions. I want to see title challenges, title wins, and new groups. I agree with all that. I also want to see a compelling world heavyweight title picture. I agree. Uh, I feel like this year it was kind of a down um, downer for the, the world title. So. Yeah, thanks, Okada and Jay White. <laughs> Uh, next question from Dr. Larry at the Dark. How do you see the 2023 main event scene? Will Sonata get there? Hopefully not. Hopefully <laughs> he stays out. <laughs> Stay the fuck out of the main event scene, Sonata. I don't need to fucking see. I don't need to see another main event with Sonata ever again. Period. I don't give a fuck about Sonata. Do you, do you care about Sonata? Not really. I mean, honestly, like. If he just stayed as in a tag team situation, uh, I'd be totally fine with that. They're, they're hotter, younger stars on the rise right now. We, we don't we don't need to run back a New Japan Cup Sonata win. Bro, you had a chance. You blew it. Move on. Um, <laughs> as far as the 2023 main event scene, hopefully it's better than it was this year. Because while New Japan did have a lot of great things going for it this year, and they even did have a lot of great main events, the title scene just wasn't it, bro. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Uh, next set of questions here from Hawaiian Punch BV says AJPW Suwama stated that Tajiri's philosophy about not sticking to one place for too long and Akira's success in New Japan definitely influenced Jake Lee's decision to leave. Do you think the odds of him going to New Japan have just increased to 100% with Tajiri also leaving and many of his students and their friends being former stablemates with Jake Lee, do you think there will be more All Japan wrestlers wanting to make the jump? Hokuto Omori is a guy that I can see with one foot out the door. He picked up zero wins in the Junior Battle of Glory last month, and he is close with Jake Lee, Dajiri, and his students. New Japan can pick up All Japan's two brightest junior prospects in Akira and Omori without really doing much. Um, it's all very conditional and dependent. I mean, um, I do think that there's historically a route for junior talent to come into new Japan and make a bigger wave and splash because they turn over that talent quicker than the heavyweight scene does. I think it is much more difficult for someone to come into the heavyweight, uh, division and even just find their footing or make a name for themselves. Um, We've seen that time and time again, even even with like a guy like Jonah, who had as big of a push out the gate as you could possibly ask for someone in the G1. There was no indication that 
long-term moving forward, he was going to have a major role in the heavyweight division in New Japan. It's a very hard, tough nut to crack. I'm not so confident that Jake Lee does come here considering how many failures in that title scene he did have in all Japan. If he did come in, it would be with the repackage. It would probably be with a lowering of his stature. I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up somewhere else in Japan personally, although I'm obviously welcome to him coming to Japan or coming to Shinihan. Yeah. And new Japan also passed on him this year for the G one. Uh, he was, that too. he was campaigning for that and they, passed on him even though there are a lot of reports indicating that he is pretty much coming to new japan we'll, we'll see how that plays out but yeah i think coming in with some other you know guys from all japan you could have this kind of rogue group you know invading new japan and doing some kind of cool angle with that um so next question here uh he says uh naoi inoue unified the bantamweight titles this week i think uskik and Inouye are the top two pound-for-pound pound fighters in the world right now. Who do you think has the better claim for number one? Naoi Inouye also said his next move is to go up to super Bantamweight. Do you think this will be too much for him, especially since he looked small at Bantamweight? Yeah, I do think that that weight class might be difficult for him, although, um, you know, I'm not quite <laughs> as much of an expert on those lower weight classes as I was maybe five or six years ago, but he is a dynamo right now. I mean, he's very, very, very impressive. I don't know if I would quite name him number one pound for pound in the sport right now, but he's not far from it. Um, And, and there's probably compelling evidence that he is number one. Uh, I do think that a jump up in weight might be, I mean, we'll just have to wait and see, but, uh, as far as Usyk, I love Usyk. I think he's fantastic. He's phenomenal. But I mean, every you know, you can lobby every single bit of criticism that you want on Tyson Fury, and I'm right there with you guys. But Usyk has not done anything more to establish himself as a as a greater pound for pound listed fighter than Tyson Fury has right now. Um, so I mean, take that for what what you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, Anui's great. He's incredible. And this most recent win has really landed him in the history books. Then, uh, Skywalker three, zero, three, three, zero says any thoughts on the Jake Lee to NJPW rumors. Peep this recent match involving Jake League, ZSJ, Naito and Shingo. If y'all can give us a cage match link there. I truly think it would be their biggest signing since Abushi, And he should a hundred percent lead a faction and be a top guy. If he makes his way there. I mean, that's one of the only ways that this sort of makes sense on both sides for him and for the company would be to make him some sort of leader and give him a faction and really establish him if that's what they want to do, if they see that kind of potential in him. I personally don't see it. I I think he's a, a fantastic talent. He's got a great look. But there is something missing. And with the wealth of talent that they already have in New Japan, I don't see the sense in establishing this guy as a tip-top guy when you have so many talented people chomping at the bit, ready and willing. Um, To me, Jake Lee screams, bring him in as an underling. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. Shingo came in as an underling. Yeah. But I don't know if he has what it takes to come in underneath and rise through the ranks to become a tip-top guy. That's that's a very tough task, which, again, is why I've said in the – now, I do agree that that match that he mentioned with uh, Suzuki uh, – or, I'm sorry, with uh, Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. does lead lend some credence to the idea that he might come in. But uh, I just wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a freelancer, winds up in a, you know, either a cyber agent or a big Japan or what have you. Yeah, we'll have to see. I'm not super familiar with Jake Lee. I'll say I know he's he was a top guy in, in all Japan, and you know I've seen a couple of his matches, but not enough to where I'm super familiar with him. But I mean, I always welcome a new face in New Japan, give us some fresh matchups in, in tournaments and stuff like that. So. I, I would also disagree that bringing him in would be their biggest signing since Ibushi because, I mean, in a certain sense, yeah, maybe there is some truth to that. But from a talent standpoint, I mean, they signed Shingo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Who's a, who, who is an all-time great professional wrestler and has even done more to make a case for that since he came to the company. So I would have to say Shingo has been the biggest signing. Plus, they just signed, you know, they're signing Sasha Banks. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Les Commission 7252 says, should Noah and New Japan create a match with Kenta and Marifuji for Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Yokohama on January 21st? They're challenging for the GHC tag team titles on Noah's New Year's show. Kenta could either betray Marifuji or attack him after the match and then set up one-on-one special singles match at Yokohama. While both guys have a long and prolific uh, history with New Japan, that just seems more of a Noah, you know, documented and historic feud. I mean, I guess they could try and breathe some new life into it in New Japan, but I myself, I'm not fully convinced. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I'm not fully convinced that the Yokohama show is going to be a Noah croak co-branded show i think there's a possibility that it might be an aw new japan show Mm -hmm. i also think there there's a possibility it might just be an open who knows i i think there's the possibility that we could see a lot of different companies working with new japan on that show potentially i i mean we don't know anything yet but um if i was them i don't know if i would go that route personally unless they think that it's something that really would draw and i'm not sure that it would yeah, I think it's more, like you said, more of a Noah angle. Well, that's it for the questions. Let's do recommended match of the week real quick and get out of here. So last week I recommended for the recommended match of the week, Road to Tokyo Dome 2015, Kazuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii versus Hiroshi Tanahashi and Katsuyori Shibata. Listen, uh, let me put it to you this way. If you were to tell me, hey, I saw this really great tag team match and it was in New Japan, I'd be like, eh, you know. Tag matches New Japan, how good it could it be? And then if you're like, well, it's got Okada and Ishii from Chaos, and they're teaming up to take on Tanahashi and Shibata. I'm like, all right, now you got my attention. But, you know, I mean, how good could that be? And then you tell me, well, it's not on a road to show. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what is it? They're like, it's the main event. The main event of what? The final night in Corkin for Road to Tokyo Dome. Oh shit! Okay, <laughs> now we're we're talking real. And then you tell me, 
and it's from 2015 and it's the preview for Wrestle Kingdom 10. And then, and then I realized like, oh, it happened in that timeline where those shows for Road to Tokyo Dome on the final night used to actually mean something and actually used to be fucking bangers. Now you got my full-fledged attention. Then you tell me Dave Meltzer gave it four and a half. All right, I'm all the fucking way in. <laughs> this match, 23 minutes, high-octane action. You got Okada and Tanahashi feuding for the IWGP heavyweight title. You got Shibata and Ishii feuding actively for the never openweight title, the two most prolific champions in the history of the never openweight titles history. And then you take into account that both all, all four of these guys are pretty much in their, you know, com- com- competitive primes. And then you also take into account the history that all four men have with each other. And then the setting and then the environment and a hot, robust, you know, uh, cork and crowd. This match fucking ruled. If you've never seen this match, Go out of your way and check it out. It, it, it's as much, it's everything that I'm telling you it is as far as hype, as far as action, violent, beautiful, incredible. And the finish where Shibata and Tanahashi, you know, they've already at this point put their differences aside and decided to work together. And they just fucking murk Ishii. And it's <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> I can't recommend this high enough. I, I'm higher on it now than I was when I saw it back in 2015. Go out of your way and catch this. It's it's so great. Nice. Well, I got uh, two matches to review here. I never reviewed uh, your recommended match of the week pick from a few weeks ago. Uh, Chono versus Fujita from the G1. Um, pretty short match up here. Let me give you a little bit of context here. Now, obviously, Chono has always done well in G1s, but this is his last dying grasp of a breath for a main event like run towards the title in New Japan. And Chono, I'm sorry, not Chono, Fujita has gone undefeated in the G1 and is like in his, you know, prime prime during like uh Anokiism where he's like Japanese Brock Lesnar. So you've got Chono from the old guard making a final run to try and like salvage his main event title, you know, candidacy taking on the fucking killer that is Chono who is undefeated in the G1 at this point. Gotcha. So yeah, definitely add some context because the crowd was uh, fully behind Chono and, and booing uh, Fujita here, and so yeah, like you mentioned, like Fujita, there was definitely a, a Brock Lesnar type um, guy in this matchup here. Um, you know, quick body slam to start off on Chono, and kind of it was pretty much Chono kind of fighting from underneath the whole match. And um, Fujita did like a big German and Chono off the apron to the floor. He's doing these nasty like MMA style knees, raining the knees down on, on Chono, and then every once in a while, Chono will kind of get a little hope spot, like a wheel kick or a suplex, jumping DDT. Um, to kind of get back uh, in the swing of things. Uh, Chono exposed his uh, knee brace so he could do the, the Shining Wizard um, in the corners. Um, then Fujita came back, cut him off pretty quick there. Um, and then eventually Chono was able to lock in the STF, but Fujita broke out of that. Um, and then Chono once again um, started picking momentum there. He started raining down the same knees on Fujita, and then hit the that Shining Wizard boot um, once and Fujita kicked out of that, he hits it again, and he wins. Uh, even though Fujita did kick out right at three to kind of keep himself <laughs> looking strong, 
Uh, but yeah, Chono got the win here. Yeah, and a few years prior, Chono had won his one and only um, IWGP heavyweight title and had to drop it after 44 days due to, uh, I believe, an injury. So, like, there's always been this push, sort of like Naito. It's like, when's he going to get the big run? And mm. so there's always been this, like, under, you know, this underswell or, or belly of belief that people are like, we want him to win another G1, even though he's old, so he can win the title, even though he never does win the title again. <laughs> and it's like insurmountable odds like that he could actually beat Chono, and he fucking somehow does finally do it. It's sort of a story match. Um, and then the other match I reviewed was the excursion match of the week pick from last week, which was from PWA Black Label uh, Coliseum 2022 Night 2. XMCW. This was the final match in the Coliseum tournament with Robbie Eagles versus Adam Brooks. Uh, fun match up here. Also, kind of another story match here. Robbie Eagles coming in with a injured arm, and uh, throughout the match, you had uh, Brooks working on the injured arm and Eagles uh, having to fight from underneath. Um, kind of using some of his dynamic offense. There was a cool spot where he did the the turbo backpack off the apron to the floor to Adam Brooks. And so, yeah, it's pretty much um, Robbie Eagles fighting from underneath and kind of hitting his cool offense when he could. Um, eventually, um, he picks up the win here over Adam Brooks after fighting through, you know, being his, his arm being thrown into the post, into the into the guardrails, into the corners. A lot, a lot of work was done on the arm, but he's able to fight back and uh, defeat Adam Brooks to win the Coliseum tournament. Where would you have gone star ratings wise and your just personal perception on both of these matches? Um, with Fujita and Chono, maybe like th- as, as watching it, I was more like three and a half because I, I didn't have the context of the full story. Maybe if I knew the story going in, maybe it would have been a little bit higher. But and most people go about that. That yeah. doesn't sound far off. Then for this um, PWA match. Maybe like four, four and a quarter in that range somewhere. Okay, so this is something that you thought was pretty great, but still probably, even though it's not in this year's grading period, it's from the past grading period. The question I really had was, did we miss the boat on not nominating it for Excursion Match of the Year? And it sounds like it probably would have missed the cut anyways had we watched it. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, awesome. Well, that's good to know. (laughs) I don't have to lose sleep wondering. Did we snub the Coliseum finals? (laughs) But I'm glad that uh, we definitely got to check that out. Um, So let's give our recommendations for next week. All right. So I have the excursion pick. So I'm going to go with the main event from yesterday's uh, Takataichi show. Shingo Takagi versus Taichi in the final KOPW match of the year that, um, last man standing lumberjack match okay and we're gonna do something a little bit different here since i didn't specifically pick out my recommended match of the week i want to go ahead and do this jeremy you give me a year any year between 1991 and last year for january 4th and i will pick you pick the event 
and then I'll give you the recommended match from that event for you to watch. Uh, let's go with uh, 95. Ooh, 1995. So let's take a look here to what we've got on the table. So the 1995, that's NJPW Battle 7 from the Tokyo Dome. And I'm going to go ahead and recommend oh, some really good ones on the table, but I will go ahead and recommend the main event of that evening, Shinya Hashimoto, the champion, the IWGB heavyweight champion, as he defends his title against the challenger, Kensuke Sasaki. Nice. Four stars, baby. Four stars. Nice. From, from good old Dave. <laughs> well that's going to wrap the show up for this oh, week oh and you should be glad because this is the same event where sting tony palmore antonio Inoki, and gerard gordo wrestled each other in a bv bvd cup martial arts tournament semifinal match or i'm sorry just tournament so it was a martial arts tournament involving sting and Inoki, and they ended up in the finals against you against each other and these three matches all three had negative star ratings from <laughs> Dave Meltzer. <laughs> oh, so you're lucky I didn't give you just to be a dick one of those three matches. <laughs> I went ahead and gave you the good, the nice. Well uh that'll wrap it up. We'll review those matches next week and next week like we mentioned uh Chris Sampson will be on the show. And we will be doing our big preview and predictions for night one of Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Tokyo Dome. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all those shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Issue Radio, hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam. Great Match Generator hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Give us money for FOH. Do it. We don't charge you for anything else. When it goes live. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. <laughs>